And what terrifies me, and what should terrify the listener, is like so many of us have landed in careers just out of happenstance, right? Like you happen to be down the street from, you know, the mechanic shop, or you happen to be, like I went to engineering because I liked cars and my brother was an engineer. I could have been an engineer. I could have worked that my whole life. There's nothing wrong with engineering. I'm just not the right guy for it. And so that was one of those moments where I was like, dude, what am I doing? Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. Peter. Yep. Welcome to the Sea Shed, man. Thank you, man. It's good to be here. You know, last time I did a podcast with you, which was a couple of years ago, you had me eating, was it Carolina Reaper jerky? Yes, that's right. While trying to do a podcast. Yes. And you, I think you sweat through your entire shirt, if I, I remember. I think I cried. Yeah. And then I, think, and then I think Ryan, I think he cried. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was a, it was a great time. Uh, we'll get into all that later and more. So first I met you years ago at a uh, podcasting conference. Mm-hmm. Because a mutual friend named Joshua Dorkin, yeah, who was uh, a homie of ours, was like, you got to meet this guy. You guys were like buddies at the, what do they call it? Like a conference buddy? I don't know. You guys were hanging out. So I came in and right. crashed your conference party. I think you hung out with me. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And I was like, yeah, Josh Dorkin, leave him alone. I'm going to hang out with you now. So I know you as a podcaster. You had a podcast for years and Josh was on it. I think I was maybe on it. Mm-hmm. And I loved that concept. We'll get into that maybe later. Uh, you no longer do that podcast though, right? Yes, right. So I knew you as a podcaster. I knew you started a r- successful meat stick company called Mission Meats, which sure. I have been telling everybody about for years. Yes, thank you very much. I still eat them every day, just about. I didn't have one today, but I have a whole cupboard of them. Father of four, uh, amazing kids, and uh, now a business coach. And you help a lot of men kind of, primarily men, right? That's, yes. your, that's your niche right primarily, now. Primarily, yeah. Primarily men, helping men uh, grow businesses and be good people while doing so, which fits mm-hmm. with the better life kind of concept, right? Yeah. You don't have to just be wealthy. You can grow business and have family and all that. So, But before all that, you were somebody else. Before I met you, before you were the mission meat guy, who were you? Yeah. Take us um, back. Eternal hustler, man. Eternal like, hustler. Yeah, yeah. So just like, you know, grew up in a grocery store. I remember... When I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, dad, you sell cans for a dollar. You bought them for 40 cents. This is fascinating. <laughs> you know, people come in and do that. And so like from that to selling product in the hallways of my school and them getting confiscated and getting in trouble to mowing yards, <laughs> to selling auto parts in college, to getting an engineering degree and not even utilizing it because I love the grind and mm-hmm. I love entrepreneurship. But recently realizing like that I had so many flaws as a leader. Mm. I didn't know what it meant to be a leader. I didn't know what it meant to be on the other side of me. And I always call it the pluses or the minuses, right? It's like what makes you really, really good at something also makes you insufferable at some things, right? And so realizing that and realizing like there are a lot of reasons why certain projects failed. Mm. There's a lot of reasons why certain relationships failed. And it's because I didn't realize what it was like. I didn't realize, as my buddy called it, the shadow of your strengths. I didn't have a mirror to hold up, right? I just felt like everybody else was incompetent or everybody else moved too slowly. And that caused a lot of problems in my life. Do you have an example? What do you mean by the like the, the plus and the minus, the shadow? Mm-hmm. What's an example of that? Yeah, I think so for me, I have extreme bias reaction mm. and really, really high risk tolerance. So I'm very much fire ready aim. Like, let's go. I see something, yeah. it's exciting, let's move. And anybody who's standing in the way of that, 
anybody who is going to say, hey, man, pump the brakes, let's ask some questions, I'm just going to bowl them over. Mm. And so that to me, pluses or the minuses or the shadow of that personality, like that's the shadow, is not realizing like, wait, 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 the, the people that want to pump the brakes, those are good people and that's their strength. And I should see that as an opportunity to slow down. I should see it as someone that is not getting in my way, but actually wants to see mm. that idea succeed. They want to see it through to fruition. They want to see it be successful. They're actually doing me a service, not a disservice. Yeah. I can see that myself in uh, a number of ways. I'm not quite the ready, fire, aim guy. I'm more of the uh, analyze it 500 times over and then weigh every single option and then two years later take action on it. Uh, That would be the opposite. Yeah, it would be the opposite. Uh, So then it drives other people like Alex, you know, our uh, amazing uh, creative director of the Better Life Tribe, the guy who sets up all the technology to make this podcast work. He did great. Yeah, he he did awesome, right? But I'll change my mind like 40 times when I'm, I'm like, okay, let's do this. And then it just changes constantly. So I suppose that's the... Uh, that's yeah. ready, 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 ready. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. All right. So you started a lot of these companies. You started young. What was your biggest failure of a company before you you landed on something successful? It's a good question, man. So many failures. I think that, you know, I, I started in between a few e-commerce companies. I started a SaaS company. And so many failures in there. You want some examples? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I got to pick a few. I think one is because I have this bias for action and I get excited about an idea and I see someone who's feels like they're going to be the yang to your yang, so to speak, I'll just jump right in. And you would never do that in a relationship. You would never do that yeah. in marriage. Most people wouldn't, but I'll do that. And I'll, I normally in the beginning, I'll either see all your flaws or I'll just ignore all of them, right? It's, there's like no... My buddy was, what does he say? My dimmer switch is broken. Like I don't have, <laughs> like it's either off or on. That's it. And so in that business, I didn't pay attention to the clues. Mm. And as I started to see the, the kind of the cracks in the armor, so to speak, I started bringing it up to my wife and she's like, Peter, I, those are so obvious. Like you're, you might be the last person that noticed those things. And so that was an absolute disaster. I mean, I think we had 14 employees. I ended up pretty much doing everything because this person turned out to be a raging alcoholic, just like all of these issues. And as I looked back and I reflect on that, it's like those things were always there. Yeah, Evidence was always there, but I didn't want to see them because I was so infatuated with the idea and the momentum and the excitement that I ignored them. Um, so again, bias reaction, fire ready aim, like that has definitely you know bit me in the rear end several times. Mm. And it's kind of humbling, man, because it takes, it really takes so much time. For people to grow and have the self-awareness to, to understand like, okay, pluses are the minuses. Let's like, in this situation, I need to pump the brakes and pay attention to the patterns in your life because we tend to repeat them, right? Like we're, we're pretty smart in some ways, we're really, really dumb in others. And it's like, wait a minute, I've done this several times. Like, what am I going to learn, right? Yeah. And so paying attention to those patterns, I think have started to help me realize like, okay, in this situation, I really, really, really need to be a... Brandon Turner. I need to be like ready, 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 aim fire. Yeah, that's good. You know, there's that famous saying, I don't know who originally said it, probably Abe Lincoln, because everything gets attributed to him, about you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most, who you associate with the most. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I try to do in my life is as I know that I have flaws, you can call them, or, you know, benefits, whatever you want to call it. I have pluses and minuses. I like how you said that. And so I always try to think like, who has that opposite? Like, who doesn't have that? And I want to be more like them. I'll give me one example of that. 
I am not a very argumentative person. Like if I have a contractor, I'm hiring to do work on a project and then he goes, does the work and he does it wrong. He'll come to me and be like, all right, I'm all done. And I'll look at it and I'll be like, that's in my head. I'm saying that's wrong. And I'll look to look him in the eye and say, great cash or check. (laughs) Right. And then I will then go and fix his problem later. And so I look at that and I'm like, that's just, I know that about me and I can't seem to fix it. Mm -hmm. And then so either A, I've had to learn to kind of work my way around it. And I've gotten pretty good at that where you hire other people to be the jerk. Like mm-hmm. and then that's real easy. Or I follow people online deliberately who I don't actually even necessarily like, mm-hmm. but I follow them because they exhibit that trait so severely. I hope it wears off on me a little bit. Like David Goggins would be an example. I mean, I love David Goggins, but yeah. like he's an example. He's so hardcore that like, I don't think he'd have a problem telling a contractor in a lot of, you know, four letter words to go and redo that project. Yeah. And so I follow guys like that and I don't want to be David Goggins, but I want to be a, a little more like David Goggins. Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. There's a there's a tool we call 7030 and I like this tool a lot because it's explained to me and given me a vocabulary and with which I can understand how I've yo-yoed in my career mm. and in my leadership and in my leadership at home and at work. The idea is you spend 70% of your time on your unconscious competence. Now, what's that? Unconscious competence is something that you can do in your sleep, really, really good at, maybe even world-class at, like, like for you, interviewing, no problem, right? Behind the mic, no big deal. Behind yeah. the camera, talk for hours. I've seen you do it, right? Yeah. Your conscious competence you. is, you're, you're welcome. Your conscious competence is something that you need to be consciously competent about, meaning that you need to be deliberately getting better at and it's necessary for your career. It's necessary for you to be better holistically. Mm. Now, why 70-30? 70% of your time spent on your unconscious competence while 30% spent in your growth area where you need to grow better at. Like in your example, like needing to be like, hey, I appreciate your work. You did a really good job. However, I would really like for that header or for that you know piece of baseboard to be a little straighter, a little yeah. tighter, whatever it is. Now, what happens for me is I'll go 40-60 for a long time or 30-70 for a long time. And I'll become miserable. Why? Because I'm burning up all this bandwidth trying to be consciously competent at things that I'm just not naturally good at. Mm. So what will happen is I'll realize that I'm doing it, and I'll swing all the other, to the other direction. I'll go 95-5. Like, man, screw this. I'm not doing all this, this stuff anymore. I'm not good at it anyways. I'm going to go and spend the majority of my day, 95% of my day, on the things that I'm unconsciously competent about. And then what will happen? Everything will start falling apart. Why? Because there's still necessary things for you to do whether it's bookkeeping for you that you don't like, talking to the contractor in a stern way, whatever it is that you need to be good at. And so that 70-30 is like that healthy balance of unconscious competence and conscious competence. So for you, it'd just be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to spend a little bit more of my day just being a little bit more stern or being a little bit more direct with the people I need to be direct with. They're going to be happy because they're going to know that they did a good job and you're going to rehire that guy. That other guy, he's no chance now. Yeah, when I look at that and that whatever we'll call it, the, the flaw in my personality where I'm just so against uh, confrontation, I realize that not only does it hurt me, yet it hurts the other people around me that I'm refusing to be confrontational with, mm-hmm. right? When I don't tell the contractor he screwed up, then he doesn't know he did a bad job. Yeah. And now there are people who are ridiculously jerkish when they yell in at contractors and all that. Like, that's not what I want to be either. Uh, but there is a very direct way to help people, especially when it comes to employees. You know, you and I both had a lot of employees over our, over our years. And if I'm not being direct with my employees, like how are they going to get better and have a more income in their future and work less if we're not the ones coaching them through? And how do you coach somebody other than, 
help them get better at the things that they should get better at. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So we call that support and challenge, right? And so like you were supporting that contractor by not telling him what he needed to do, right? You were protecting him from a potential confrontation. But what happened was he's not going to get rehired by you. So he's not going to have an opportunity. He's not going to have an opportunity to be better. Right. And if everybody does that with him, he's gonna be like, man, I don't know. I like, I just do one job for people and they never rehire me again. I I mean, they tell me I do a good job, but I never get called back. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And if he's not aware and then you don't help him be aware. Yeah. Now you're doing him a disservice as well. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, man. Definitely something I'm trying to work on. Any advice for me on that? On uh, being more, you're the, you're the coach here, man. How do I be more direct with people? Yeah, yeah. And so I said support challenge, right? Yeah. And I don't want to be too heavy on the call, but like we have something called the support challenge matrix. And just imagine, you know, an X and a Y axis, challenge on the X, support on the Y. And when you are in a lot of support and no challenge, you're in protector mode, you're protecting them, you're really protecting yourself from a potential yep. confrontation because you don't want to deal with it. Yep. You're like, you know what? I'd rather just fix it and redo it. I, yeah. I just don't want to deal with this with the situation. Or like you said, the people that are really, really direct and they're jerks about it, they're dominator, they're all challenged, no support. And they're just like jerks and they're, they're, they're direct. And what you wanna be is in the upper right quadrant, which is calibrated support and challenge to that person. So I'll tell you what calibrating means in a minute, but that's liberator category, that's liberator territory. You're gonna liberate them from their maybe lack of consistency, their lack of quality of work, those sorts of things. You liberate them. They become a liberate. You become a liberated leader, and you liberate them, right, from all the things I just mentioned. And that's where you want to be. And what I mean by calibrated is, is some people they might not be able to handle too much directness. So you're gonna give them just enough to where they know they you like them, they did a good job. You're gonna hire them again. Other people might need to be a lot more challenged. They might need to get a lot more challenged so they can hear and you can get through to them. And so learning people's personalities, you can calibrate that support and challenge to that person. So that's that's my advice to you. Well, thanks, man. You're welcome. All right. Well, before we get too deep into the interview and your story and all that, uh, one thing we do on this show is we donate 100% of the ad revenue from every episode directly towards a charity, a cause, a mission that is near and dear to your heart, something that maybe breaks your heart and yeah. uh, we want to support. So what are we throwing our cash at this week? I love that. And I love that you do that, man. I really appreciate that. This one's a little different. And okay. so it's an organization out of Placentia, California called The Training Lab. And they're an MMA gym, and they have really a lot of premier fighters, like, actually, I won't name drop, but a lot of fighters that you would know in UFC go there. But one thing that they do is they have got a nonprofit, and they support uh, vets who have PTSD. Really? And they also support children that have had near near drownings, like really incredible stuff. Now, why do I know this? Is because you know this, and we'll share this part of the story later, but my 14-year-old, she was 14, she's now 15, she's here had a stroke last summer Mm. and I got connected with these guys and they've got hyperbaric chambers and where they do, um, they put, you put you under pressure and it's, it's there because for the fighters, because they have a lot of head injuries, but it's also there because it helps with PTSD and they have kids, incredible stories of kids that have had near drownings that really are, they're being told they're going to put this kid in a home and that kid by their next birthday is like running around absolutely normal. And so there's incredible group, incredible family and incredible cause. So, I mean, uh, they've showed us so much love and, and Windsor, who's here now, she's just, you know, less than a year out from the ICU at the children's hospital told that she was not going to recover. Yeah. She's fully recovered. You saw her today. And so that's the cause. Well, let's get to that story right after this commercial break, because I would love to hear that right now. Okay. Okay. 
This is gonna be a short, short ad. It's for something else that's free and you really should know about it because it benefits you. Did you know I have a weekly text message newsletter where I send out my top real estate investing advice, books that I'm reading, and more? It is called Behind the Beard. Get it? Behind the Beard. And you can join by simply going to beardybrandon.com. That is beard with a Y, Brandon. Beardebrandon.com. It's 100% free, and it's just a good way for me to stay connected with you. And now, back to the show. All right, man. Let's go to the show, because that's... I remember when that happened, uh, a mutual friend of ours texted me and was like, hey, you need to pray for Peter and his family. What happened there? Yeah, it's crazy because it's a year, year later, and it's hard to talk about. I mean, dude, it was over the course of a weekend, he was, she was being quieter than normal, and we just thought she was like moving into teenage years, and, and you know, she was being quiet and kind of standoffish, and it culminated on church actually on Sunday where I'm coming out of service, and... Some of her friends come running over and they're like, dude, Windsor's acting weird. We gave her water. She's like stumbling around. Water poured out of the side of her face. And we get upstairs and she's stumbling around, dude, like she's like she's wasted. Yeah. And we have, there's medics on staff there. The medics come and they're like, basically they do all these tests and they're like, oh, she's probably having like a kind of a mental breakdown. She needs to go see a you know therapist or something. And so I'm walking her out of the church and people have known now that something's going on. And so I'm like, hey, let's not cause a scene. I didn't want her to be embarrassed. So I'm like, just hold on to me. We'll walk to the car. And as we're getting closer to the car, I see that her left arm's retracted. And as we get even closer, I can hear her foot dragging on the ground. I'm like, hey, are you having trouble walking? And she's like, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. She can barely get it out. And I'm like, oh, no big deal. I'm acting cool. I'm like, no big deal. Like, you know, get in the car. I text Melissa, my wife, and I'm like, you better, like, you got 30 seconds, so I'm leaving you here. We're going to, the, we're going to um, urgent care. Get her to urgent care. They think she's had a seizure. We get over to the, to the ER. I can't go in because it's COVID. My wife's in there for like three hours. She texts me and is like, hey, they want you to come in now. There's news. They said there's, it's news and it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And so we get in there and she's getting strapped into a gurney. They're about to airlift her to the children's hospital about 30 minutes away. And that's when they were like, hey, she's, she's had a stroke. We've literally never seen this before in a 14-year-old. And I asked, the, I asked the head of neuro there, he's like, do you have any questions for me before she gets flown out? And I'm like, yeah, w- you know, what's the recovery protocol for this? He's like, oh, there's no recovery. Mm. This is who she is. And dude, I, I, I could have killed this guy. I, was, I, was, <laughs> I, I have no, no dimmer switch with my anger too. Like I was oh. going to murder this guy in the ER. And so I literally back up from this guy because I'm like, I'm going to hurt you right here in the ER. She gets airlifted. I'm driving like 100 miles an hour, like a bat out of hell to the Children's Hospital in Orange in California. And I hear her landing on the, on the building as we're pulling into the garage. It was just surreal, dude. And long story short, like I told you, man, she's fully recovered by the grace of God, like through a new friend. I mean, God, I barely even knew. I'm coming home at like 11 p.m. at night, still in my church clothes. And he texts me, he's like, dude, where are you? And I'm like, I'm getting some clothes and taking it back to Melissa. She's going to spend the night there because I can't, we can't have two parents there. He's like, come by, I'm going to pray with you. And I tell him this story about what the head of neuro says. And he's like, dude, he's like, he doesn't know the God we serve. Mm. And he's like, and I've got some connections for you. He's like, I'll be getting back to you. So he connects me with training lab. And as soon as we get out of the hospital, dude, like we're getting, she's had 60 hyperbaric uh, wow. treatments there. She's had three brain scans there. She's on a new, crazy nutritional plan. And the, the the hospital can't even understand it. They're like, they haven't seen recovery like this yeah. ever. 
And so they're actually using some of her data now in the medical community because they've never seen that sort of recovery. And so it's an incredible testament to our faith. It definitely deepened some relationships and created a lot of new ones. But also, man, it was one of these moments where maybe it's a watershed moment. I don't think I even know what that means. But it was like one of these things where you had an opportunity. It's like a fork in the road. You can either go left or right. Like you can either lose all your faith or you can gain it all, right? And I remember being so angry, dude, and praying harder than I've ever prayed in my life. But in the end, it was like very, very clear that this is the path for our family. And we were meant to learn something from it. And also for me, as a coach and as a leader in the community, it was an opportunity to be a light, mm-hmm. like be an example. And knowing parents that have lost kids, I'm like, man, this was really gnarly, but it wasn't that. This was terrible. And I couldn't yeah. believe it. It was like... Brandon, I felt like we were in a movie. Yeah. I'm like, I remember it happening and being like, dude, I cannot, like, is this happening? What is this? Is this for real? Like, I couldn't believe it. We've got four kids. I've Thankfully, we had some family friends that took the other three kids and they had them for five days while she was in ICU. It was just one of those moments, man, where, and I'm thankful to have it because I thought to myself, I don't really give two craps about the stuff that I'm working on. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Like, if I died today... Would I be happy with the way that I spent it? And I wouldn't. That was around the time where I'm like, dude, I'm leaning into coaching because like, that is what I was put on this earth to do. And so much of my life has been spent on doing things that I'm really good at, but not what I'm great at. And what terrifies me and what should terrify the listener is like so many of us have landed in careers just out of happenstance, right? Like you happen to be down the street from you know, the mechanic shop where you happen to be, like I went to engineering because I liked cars and my brother was an engineer. I could have been an engineer. I could have worked that my whole life. There's nothing wrong with engineering. I'm just not the right guy for it. Yeah. And so that was one of those moments where I was like, dude, what am I doing? Like, what am I working on? Yeah. This stuff doesn't mean anything. There's a quote I read online the other day and it said, in 30 years, the only people who will remember that you worked late were your, are your kids. The only people who remember that you worked late are your kids. And it was such a, like a gut, like, oh, you're right. Like, you know, my, bo- I, don't know, I don't have a boss right now per se, but I've got 1500 of them, like with my investors, <laughs> right? I've got, you know, but like, they're not going to remember the extra hours I put in. They're not going to remember how hard, I, you know, I, I missed, you know, my kids dance thing. Cause I went to that conference. It was so important to go to that conference. Yeah. And it's like, no one's going to remember that except the two people that I don't want to. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's like. How do we avoid that? So question for you, what advice do you have for, so, okay, your situation was terrible mm. to go through, right? Uh, in fact, when you guys came up today, you got to my house, right? Like I totally forgot in the moment that she ever went through that because she, there was zero indication that there was a problem. So yeah. what a, what a cool full, you know, full circle moment there, her coming here and just like everything was perfectly fine. Yeah. So first of all, amazing. And, uh. What's your advice though, for other parents? Because everyone's going to go through something. Like almost every parent goes through something, whether it's a, a sickness, disease, a, the kid gets their face smashed in the concrete. You know, like one of my good friends recently, his kid had a wipeout at a, at a skate park mm. and it like permanently damaged his, like, the kid's face, like, like surgery. And like, I mean, it's, it's an, it happens to all, all of us at some point. What's your advice to parents who have not yet maybe gone through that, but they will. Like, yeah. what can you uh, speak into them right now? I can tell you right now, like, without a doubt, not having community would have been just devastating. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, dude, we go from urgent care to ER to ICU, and we're at urgent care for like 25 minutes. Before we left there, our friends were there picking up our kids. Mm-hmm. 
Dude, I had, I, I can't even tell you hundreds of text messages, thousands of people praying for us. I can't imagine what we would have done without all that support. We had meals for weeks, like every single day meals showing up at our house. We didn't organize that. And so I think for me, and this is not like in a self-serving way, I would be building community like an MF yeah. man. Like yeah. build mm-hmm. your community, know your neighbors, because they're going to need you sometime and you want to be that person. Like I can't wait to be that person for somebody. I don't want them to, to have some sort of catastrophe in order for it to happen, but I can't wait to return the favor. Yeah. And so if you don't have community, man, you got to get out there and build it. Yeah. Any advice for people who maybe are struggling with that right now? They feel like they're just alone in their world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't, you know, like the, the idea of community has, it's struggling, I feel like in America. And maybe there's a resurgence happening, but there's a book called like Bowling Alone. It talks about this. And it, the idea is like bowling used to be a community sport. People would go out and bowl together. And now the only people who bowl are people who bowl in alone. Wow. And it's this idea that religion as religion has declined in America, nothing's really taken its place to replace that community aspect. Mm-hmm. So any advice on people? How do you get those lifelong relationships or those deep relationships that matter? Yeah. And this is going to sound trite, dude, and maybe over, overly simplistic. You have to actually care. Mm. Melissa gets annoyed with me with this stuff, but like I'll go through grocery store, coffee shop or whatever, and I almost always do this. I don't know if I did it today because I'm on four hours of sleep, but you go to the coffee shop and you'll say, how you doing? And what do they say? Good. So what's going on? Oh, not much. What's interesting in your world? <laughs> like, I'll keep going. Yeah. And it'll get awkward. Yeah. It's freaking awkward. I don't <laughs> like doing it. Like, I don't like doing it. Yeah. But I remember being at the grocery store and same thing. How's it going? Good. Check me out. Swipe my card. So what's going on? Well, I'm having a rough day. My bunny died. Like, f- true story. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, if I hadn't asked, I wouldn't know. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. That sucks. Like, how can I help you? Like, I don't even know this girl. She's just a yeah. cashier at the reg- you know, at the reg- the grocery store. And we just had a good conversation. Yeah. And she felt heard and seen and like somebody cared. Like, you have to actually care about the people you're talking to. Mm. Like, ask questions. Linger a bit. Linger even longer. Like, we're the last people at church. We're the last people at the parties. We're the last people everywhere. I think you're the same way, right? And there's a reason for that. Because, like, I actually care. I actually enjoy having conversations with people. Yeah. We literally have a friend problem. <laughs> I was telling Melissa, I'm like, dude, can we have like one night where people aren't like just stopping in and having uh-huh. coffee, right? Dude, you know, one of the most interesting hacks we have at the house right now is I bought an espresso machine during COVID mm. for myself. Yeah. It was right before COVID. It was for my 40th birthday. And I didn't know COVID was going to happen. It was like two weeks prior. It showed up and then the world shut down. But dude, I don't know how many people I've made lattes for. Yeah. And it seems like the stupidest thing, right? But I'll make you a beautiful latte when you come over and you're going to feel like I actually care about you being at my house. Yeah. Our neighbor's mom visiting from Canada would walk down to the house, sit at the bar we had at the last house we were at, and she would order a drink like it was a coffee shop. And I, it made me so happy, dude. Like she felt comfortable <laughs> in my house. She enjoyed my latte. She know I'd be happy to serve her one, right? Yeah. Middle of the day. It was lunchtime. My parents always told me growing up, they always told our family, we had four kids in our family, and they always said, we want to be the house that all your friends feel comfortable showing up to, even if we're not here. Mm. It's like, it happened numerous times where we'd come home and they'd just be one of my friends, like sitting on the couch watching TV. <laughs> and that never weirded my parents out. Like, yeah. cause they always said, if, if they're not here, then you guys are somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So this house will be a welcoming house no matter what. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Heather and I have tried to adopt that here. I mean, we've in five years of living in Hawaii, we've maybe had three weeks of not somebody visiting. 
and it's hard sometimes. Like community is hard, mm-hmm. and uh, especially when like they're people that are weird or people you don't necessarily want hanging around. But it's I think even like the even the weird people have something to teach you. Totally, and, uh, totally. And you know you got to get through the weird ones to find the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. In fact, we're just about to implement. In fact, we are going to start it tonight, but due to this podcast and due to a lot of things, we're just going to go out to dinner afterwards. But we're going to start every Friday night here at my house. We have this big backyard with the big, long 20-foot table, and we never use it. We use it like once a year on Thanksgiving. So we're like, okay, every Friday night, we're going to have just open invitation to all our friends who live in Maui here. Be like, hey, if you want to come for dinner, bring something and come for dinner. Mm-hmm. We eat at six. And it's just like people show up, and we might have 10 people, might have 30 people, might have five people. It's a a point of intention, right? Not a point of contention. It's a point of intention where it says, mm-hmm. I'm going to deliberately try to foster community here. Because again, like years from now, like when you look back in your life at like happy memories, I feel like those are most of my happy memories are with people surrounded in community. Yeah, for sure. And it's going to be inconvenient sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so here's the thing you're talking about, like maybe it's a lack of religion and or the decline of religion, nothing replacing it. I think we've also become so incredibly independent Yeah. that not only do we want to be independent, but we don't want to inconvenience other people. Yeah. And so we're not dropping in. Like when's the last time somebody dropped in? They don't have to anymore, right? Because they can just mm-hmm. shoot your text message. Yeah. But before, what would they do? They would come over and knock on the door. Yeah. Be like, hey, is Brandon home? Yeah. Can we hang out? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we've lost all of that, dude. Yeah. Like my, some of my favorite moments in our communities where people just like drop by and they know that we're going to be okay with it, right? And the house is going to be a mess and I don't care, you know? Yeah. And we got to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Yeah. You know, the, the part about caring, there's a, there's a way to communicate that. And I'm, I'm going to use a very specific example. When you got here today, when you had a long travel day, you have, you know, drama with work sometimes, you had like, you, you got a whole busy life of your own. You got on my front porch or my lanai up there and you, you sat down, you looked at me in the eye and you said, man, how are you? Like, how are you really doing? And like something in that, like, I was just like, I don't remember the words I said, but basically it's hard, man. Like I'm, I'm struggling right now a little bit, not like a drastic way, not like my kids are hurt, but I just feel, it feels heavy and I'm carrying a lot of things right now and I don't have the systems to support everything at the same time. So I'm just feeling like, a, what did I say? Butter scraped over two little bread. Like yeah. The it's a good one. I like it. Yeah. But it led to a good conversation we had. And I think you really did help quite a bit just mm-hmm. in that 20-minute, 15-minute conversation we had. So and it, was, it was something about the way you asked. It was not like, hey, man, how you doing? Which is a very different thing than saying, hey, how are you doing? Right? It's such a simple twist uh, that if you'd been like, how you doing? I would have been like, great, man. It's just, it's a, it's, yeah, fascinating, man. All right. Let's get back to your story. I love that. Uh, all right. How'd you meet your wife? I always say we met on vacation, but okay. we, what we met on spring break. Okay. And it's everything you just imagined. <laughs> <laughs> what, where in spring break? In the Bahamas. Okay. She was 19. I was 20. All right. We were on uh, some booze cruise down there. Yeah. She was living in Iowa, still going to school there. I was in Orlando with me and like 30 car club buddies. I mean, it was totally just, it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did you... Say something to get her. Did she notice you first? Where'd that come from? Well, she says I noticed her first. I didn't remember, but also it's probably because I was incredibly intoxicated. But we met like in a bar at two o'clock in the morning Mm. and it was kind of crazy, man, because we ended up chatting and we talked until the sun came up Mm. and it was weird. And I remember her like, it was like, you know, second to last day we were there and she's like, man, do you think we would have worked out? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And we will. Mm. And we we were long distance for two years, man. It was crazy. And luckily I had started my business, so I had a little bit of money. And so 
I was traveling. I would either fly up to Iowa, which I didn't even know where it was when I met her. <laughs> I'm not. I'm dead. I serious. was wondering how you got in Iowa. Yeah, uh, always a girl. Yeah, yeah. It's always. Yeah, yeah it's always. A girl. How'd I get in Washington? Like the armpit of Washington. It's always a, girl. always a girl. It's always a girl. Yep. And so, or she would travel down until she graduated. We got married and then lived in Florida. But yeah, that's how we met. Here, and the crazy story is most people don't know this. The day before I left to the Bahamas, basically a stranger was in my parents' house. It was like the new boyfriend of a lady who was a widow. And uh, he goes, hey, you're Peter? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, come over for a second. It's an old guy. He goes, you're going to the Bahamas, I heard. I said, yeah. He goes, you're going to meet your wife there. Huh. And I never saw him again. That's crazy. <laughs> <It was> crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. That's wild, man. Yeah. What are three things you love about your wife? Oh, man. So she's an artist and I'm an engineer, right? I have an engineering degree. So we're like polar opposites in so many ways, especially in how we think. What I love about her, dude, is she feels like she was born to like parent and school these kids. And I feel so incredibly fortunate for that, man. She's also all the patients that I'm not. I always joke about how like I'm just there in the relationship to screw up, just balance it out and screw up the things that she's making work really well. So incredible wife, incredible parent, and so incredibly patient and loving and understanding. And most of the time I don't deserve it. Mm. So those are just a few of the things. I love it, man. I love it. What about your kids? Tell us about your kids. They all look adopted. <laughs> <laughs> and you've seen them all, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they all look adopted, but they're all mine. Yeah, man. Windsor, she's the one we've been talking about a lot of this time. She's an incredible singer, leading worship in the high school worship team. Summit, leading drums on the middle school worship team. He's like super crafty. I love that uh, name. I yeah. love all your kids' names. Yeah, the other coolest name. Thanks, but. man. Super crafty. He's on his second business. He's only 13. So it reminds me of me a lot. Brighton, she's 11, and we just na- we named her perfectly, dude. And she's like the bright, just bright light in our house, bro. Like she'll talk your ear off. And she doesn't care if you're an adult or an elder or a three-year-old kid. You saw her here with Rosie when she yeah. was little. Like she will talk your ear off, and she just <laughs> loves hanging out with you. And I remember when she was like six, I was complimenting her because, you know, we did about 30,000 miles on the road in our RV for over a couple of years. I was like, you know what I like about you? You can make friends everywhere. And she did. Everywhere we went, good friends, friends for life, right? Like arms around them within yeah. a couple hours. And she's like, oh, dad is easy. I just say, will you be my friend? And I say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so very confident. And then Ayers, who's my little guy, he's eight, blonde hair, blue eyed kid. And we're both dark hair, brown, brown eyed people. It's just funny. <laughs> he, like he looks straight adopted. It's really funny. <laughs> he got all the recessives. That dude is just a fire plug, man. And he's an incredible skateboarder, super witty. Just, he's freaking hilarious. I walked in the house the other day and it's like uh, five days ago. And he had had his older brother put tats on him with a pen, <laughs> including like the, I love mom with the heart and the arrow threw it on his arm, on his bicep. And three tears on his face. <laughs> the tears on the face. And he wore those through TSA yesterday. Oh. <laughs> and they all looked at him like, dude, that kid looks gnarly. So those are the kids, man. Wow. I love it. Yeah. I love your family. Thank Good you, people. bro. You know, I think you brought up an interesting point. When I look at Rosie, she is such, like, she's so perfectly named. Rosie, like, she's just such a girl, loves her flowers, loves that stuff. And then Wilder is just a wild man. Like, I he call is. him wild man, right? Just yeah. crazy. I wonder how much... I'm curious your thoughts on this. How much of that is because we as parents have named our kids, like especially us who you know chose kind of unique, more unique names. We name them something 
And then we treat them that way because of their name? Or how much is it? Is there something more mystical or deep going on where they live up to their name? Yeah, I'm, I think it's both, man. Nature and nurture for sure. You've seen this as a parent and your listeners also seen this with, with kids where they've been around. You see early on, dude. I mean, like as early as six months old, you'll see, you'll see them make a face yeah. or a smile and you're yeah. like, dude, that's you. Yeah. Like you could see like a glimpse of them at 16 yeah. or 30. You're like, that smile is going to mm-hmm. be there, right? That smirk, yeah. that laugh, like the way that you like, like my eight-year-old man, the guy, he's, he kid is so freaking witty, man. Like he will just get you and you'll like, it'll, it'll make you laugh because you're like, I cannot believe that just came out of eight-year-old's mouth. <laughs> and so I think, I think it's a little bit of both, man. I also think God has a sense of humor, yeah. you know? And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll see, you know, about this. This will be funny. So I think it's both. Yeah, I think it was Michelangelo or one of the famous old sculpture guys who once said that when asked how he does it, he's like, well, the, the Mike, you know, whatever, the, the David sculpture was always in the, the marble. I just had to like chip it away until it was there. Mm-hmm. I sometimes think that way about names. Like I, I'm convinced that we don't name our kids. We, we discover their name that was given to them ahead of time. And I, I might be totally off on that, but I like that thought of like, they were like, God had a name plan. Like Rosie was there. And that's why you feel around names for so long. Cause you're trying to, you're trying to discover it. Even before you know what your kid is like, they're in the, they're in the womb. And you're discovering their name and you play with 50 different things until one goes, that's it. And it resonates in your soul because mm-hmm. I think that was their name. Like that was meant to be. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big name fan. That's um, good. And I also know parents that have had a name and been adamant about it. Yeah. And the baby's born and like, that's mm-hmm. not his name. Yeah. Interesting. I got a different name. That's not the name. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Let's talk about, uh, oh, where do I want to go next? We talked about the kids a little bit. Let's talk about. RV life. I want to know a little bit more about that. I'm thinking about buying an RV. Okay. Where did that Where did that start from? And what did you guys do with traveling around with an RV? Yeah, it started. You're, young. you're not 65 years old. I'm not 65, and, not, yeah. and we were doing it before it was cool. Just to be clear, <laughs> right? You know, for me, dude, it started with something very simple. I'm a I was a Florida boy living in Iowa. I could not handle the winter, and it was just wearing at me, dude. Some would say I don't have the constitution. Some would say I don't have the resilience. I don't really care. I couldn't freaking handle it, right? And so rented our house out, got an RV. But I'll tell you what, man, what it was like for me and what I really enjoyed about it was because I like building community and I just, I, for, I make friends everywhere, kind of like Brighton, really. I just had friends everywhere. And so for me, we, would, we planned routes around where we knew people lived. Mm. So if we knew we wanted to go from Iowa to Florida to California and then, you know, back up to, you know, through Glacier and all that, we would map it out to places we wanted to go and see. But inevitably, we knew someone along the way. And so we'd stay in their driveway, we'd break bread together. And it was the f- coolest freaking thing, Brandon, because it deepens so many relationships. Yeah. Like, so our friend Josh, right? Yeah. Dude, I'm up in Whitefish, Montana. Basically, I'm up in Canada. And we're going to go to Glacier. And what's funny is we're parking our RV in a driveway of a friend that I know from Vegas, who happens to be up there, which is weird. And then I post on social media that we're in Glacier. I get a text from Josh. He's like, you're in Glacier, dude? We're in Glacier. <laughs> and so we ended up staying an extra day. And we had the best time on the lake and just hanging out and deepening our relationship there. And so that story, I can tell just on repeat over and over and over again about seeing the country, about breaking bread with friends, deepening relationships, like all those things are really, really incredible and life-giving. But on top of that, when you're in the RV, it's just your family yeah. and a very, very limited amount of belongings. And so you're just responsible for yourselves and getting yourself to that next destination and eating together and really having that like really deep 
incredible bond and friendship and relationship with your kids and your wife. And the other thing is too, you can't hide from each other. Mm. And so if you've got a problem, you got to kind of deal with it because you're stuck in a van, literally, together. And so it was it was incredible for our relationship. And I'll tell you one other interesting byproduct. Anybody who meets our kids, they're like, dude, your kids like ask me really thoughtful questions and they're really comfortable around me and they look me in the eye and they'll shake my hand and and all of that's from our travels. They just had to get used to, whether you're introvert or not, being the new kid at the church or at the playground or wherever, and they had to make friends and they had to talk to people. And they were around us, which we were you know, meeting friends too who were adults, and so they had to get comfortable yeah. and comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so now if you meet them, they're just like incredibly confident with themselves and in their skin and they'll hang in an adult conversation any day. And I think out of anything that I gave them, that's the most powerful. Because now they can, I can drop them in a situation and they're going to thrive. And yeah. that's that's going to stick with them for the rest of their lives. And you guys are homeschooling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had a conversation on a previous episode with AJ Osborne. And we were, yeah. we were kind of joking about how back in the day, kids, the homeschool kids were the weird ones, everyone totally. would say, right? Yeah. And today the, the public school kids are the ones with, you know, masks on by themselves on the sidewalk, not talking to anybody and not looking anyone in the eye because they're all afraid. And I'm like, you know. How the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> totally. We are still very weird, but yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's a little weird. We're, we're, we're good with that. Oh, man. All right. So you're no longer in Iowa. Talk about that. One thing, and I'll, I'll preface it with, in the Better Life the Better Life tribe, the whole, you know, the mastermind have started, and we have you know, roughly a thousand people, give or take, in there. Uh, we talk a lot about the 10 categories of life, uh, where you look at like your, you know, health and fitness or career, your investments or financial life your parenting, your spouse, but then one of them is called environment, and I label environment. And that just means the physical world around you. It could be the town you live in, could be the car you drive, could be the house you live in, uh, the office that you go to work every day. And although it probably shouldn't be, it affects me so much where my environment was. So when I was in the rain in Washington, I, I just wasn't as happy. Yeah, You were in Iowa, and now you're in California. I am. So can you walk, walk us through with the, your, your change over the last few years in environment and what led to that and what it's uh, done for your life? Yeah, and so... You know, not everybody has this opportunity. I acknowledge that, but like in the RVing, we were also kind of sampling different parts of the country mm-hmm. and really living there like locals, right? So some places we'd pass through. I think we've been to thirty some odd states now, but some places we'd stay. We might stay for a week, might stay for a month, and we were very, very good at living like locals. Like we didn't look up the tourist sort of destinations, although we did some of that. And more so, I wanted to be like, where do locals hang out? What's the coffee shops feel like? You know, that sort of thing. And for me, again, Florida boy in Iowa, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't take the snow and cold, but more than that, I just couldn't take the gray. Like I really needed some sun. And I realized like, oh, seasonal depression, that's not for sissies. Like that's a real thing. That's, and it's incredibly bad, right? And so in our samplings, we landed on Southern California um, for obvious reasons. It's beautiful. And we started staying there longer and longer. And so every winter we'd stay for a month to three months to six months and realize like, gosh, we got to, you know, it's time for us to move. Like this is a life-giving place. And what's cool about us being able to sample it is we got to see kind of how the kids were doing and if they thrive there or not. And it was very, very clear that it suited their souls as well. Um, all love the water and uh, all of the sunshine, right? Um, I think all of us like both of those things. And so there was always that still that concern though, right? Like me as being leader, head of the household, whatever you want to call it, I was concerned that, you know, man, is this the moment where they're going to look back and be like, this is when dad screwed it all up. Mm. And so that was definitely in the back of my mind. But selling the house, moving out, we rented for a while, just as sort of like an MVP 
thing, right? Minimum viable product. And realized like the kids were just, I mean, just continuing to thrive and make friends. And because we're homeschoolers, um, there's a much larger homeschool contingent there pre-COVID, now post-COVID, it's massive. Um, but even before that, it was much larger. And just creating options for the kids, you know, skateboarding, horseback riding, like a lot of things that you could do year round there and then building friendships. And so it's been life-giving. It's been incredible. It's not been easy. I mean, real estate there, as you know, is quite a bit different than Iowa. I mean, the house that I bought in Iowa wouldn't even qualify as a down payment for the house that we bought in California. But yeah, it's been cool. Has it gone up in value since you bought it? The house? Yeah. Yes, yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that could have gone the opposite way, of course. But yes. one of the arguments we make all the time in real estate is like, if you can afford it, like, I mean, this is something I didn't know when I was younger. So I used to try to find the cheapest house I could. Like when I got started in real estate, buy the cheapest house. So I was so proud of my $80,000 house mm. that I fixed up and now it's worth a hundred or was worth 120 when I got done with it. And I was like, yeah, I'm living for 400 bucks a month. This is great. Which again, it was important because I needed to be able to pay bills. And I'm not saying somebody go out and buy something they're not, you can't afford. But property values have doubled in that area now. Uh, more than doubled, really probably tripled. So that house that was maybe worth 120 today is probably worth 360, maybe 400. Wow. Good. You know, that's great. Now I, I wish I wouldn't have sold it, but I did. But had I bought the million dollar house then and it tripled, it'd be worth $3 million. So if I could afford, and then if you're putting a small down payment, let's say three and a half percent on a million dollar house is what is that? 35 grand mm -hmm. versus on a hundred thousand dollar house, you're putting 3,500 down. So the difference of $25,000, let's call it $30,000 of down payment. But then if you extrapolate that out over doubling or tripling of a property value over time, yeah. it's millions of dollars. It's, it's, and so today it's almost like I would love to help people find, how do you buy the most expensive house possible, but do so in a way that you can easily afford, which is why we love house hacking, why I love this house in Maui, which is, you know, I can rent out th two of the units here, live on the third for free. Mm -hmm. So I'm not doing the stupid thing where I'm, you know, can't afford my payment, but I'm also getting the value of owning a $2 million house that's not worth four you know, in five years. And uh, yeah, real estate's wild. Yeah. Were you going through, I mean, you had a lot of, uh, I don't know, I'll say fear is the wrong word maybe, but no, it's trepidation. Right. It's about probably the, the right, no, it's the right word. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So how did you talk yourself into, into buying the, this expensive house, Southern California? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a unique story, maybe not for everybody, but like we were lamenting about real estate in the area that we wanted to be in. And we're like, man, we can't afford to live in this neighborhood. Long story short, an off-market deal under value fell into our lap by a good friend of ours. He's like, I just don't want you guys to leave the neighborhood. Mm. And I thought he had just drank too much whiskey that night. <laughs> I'm like, man, this, no way. And so we did, we were able to buy it under uh, market value during the peak of the market, got to lock in at the lowest rate near the bottom. And so it was just, it was beautiful timing, man. Uh, and very clear that we, that was the place we were supposed to be. Yeah. And what solidified it is I ran it past a good friend of mine that's a realtor and we we're sitting at the coffee shop and he looked at me, he goes, how much? I told him, he goes, you might be the stupidest person I've ever met if you don't buy this house. <laughs> He's like, sell one of your kids, do whatever you need to do. Of course he's kidding, but you know, and so we did. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of fear, man. I mean, you know, real estate there is almost, it's incomprehensible. Yeah. You know, the only person that I've met that was like, oh, it's pretty affordable here is our mutual friend, Steve Chu. So mm -hmm. yeah. said us, I remember meeting Steve in Laguna. He's like, how much your house is here? This was like five years ago. And I told him, he's like, it's not bad. It seems fair. Yeah. And I'm like, you're the only guy I've ever yeah. talked to. And it's only because he's in San Francisco, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. I would say that about living in Hawaii now. Every place in America is on, is on sale. No matter where I go, I'm like, whoa, 
You could buy a house for $2 million here. This is crazy. Like, everything is cheap everywhere for the rest of my life. Totally. Because yeah. everything's so expensive here. It's just so. brainwashing, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so... And this is maybe a picture for life in a lot of areas is so much of fear is based on comparison, not based on actual evidence of being fearful or not, you know, worthy mm-hmm. of fear, right? Like we're afraid of the million dollar house because we're used to the hundred thousand dollar house. Even though the million dollar house might rent for way more, it may uh, have other ways to, you know, you can afford it just fine. Like there's, the fear may be completely unjustified, but it's compared to other things. Uh, and so there's, there's magic in there. There's probably, a, there's a keynote speech in there somewhere about yeah you know, scaring yourself into doing something. Well, one of the things you've said to me several times, Brandon, is stop saying you can't and Mm -hmm. ask yourself how, Mm -hmm. right? And that may be not all your, you know, exactly the words that you said. That's exactly what I say. Yeah, that's exactly. I I I just stole that from Rich Dad Poor Dad. (laughs) All of my best But they're good words, man. And so instead of like, just forget about the number for a minute and how it compares to everything else that you're used to and just ask yourself how, like, how could I make this work? Yeah. And then maybe you can't. But at least you went through that exercise instead of having the emotional knee-jerk response of just saying, I can't do it and walking away. Yeah. You know, most people look at situations and they go, yeah, but what if it fails? What if it collapses? What if whatever? And there's definitely, there's there's good reason to play defense. But I love the question, what if it succeeded? Like, what if it worked? Like, what if that house that you want to buy, what if it worked and you made a living, like you made a life there and your kids love that neighborhood and you had energy because of the sun and you weren't down half the year because it was snowing and gray. Mm-hmm. Like what, what if it's like just a different practice that we can get into is saying, what if on the good side versus the bad side? And all of a sudden you realize, Oh, you know, the upside is so great. And sometimes the downside is, I don't say rare, but a lot less chance than the upside. Yeah. Uh, we call those like asymmetric bets, right? Where the mm-hmm. upside is way higher than the downside. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to get in that mentality though, especially when you're just used to uh, culture and your like family and your history and all that of just being constrained and fear based. Just trying to live in that abundant mentality is a it's a stretch. Listen, man, I want to talk about that for a minute. I wasn't Please. really planning on it, but I think that I've run into so many people. And it's not only like I you know I, I call it the immigrant mindset, but it's not only it's just more so a poverty mindset. I say immigrant because my parents you know immigrated from Egypt and you know. 500 bucks shirt on their backs, like that whole, that whole bit. Mm. So that's how I, I kind of identify with it. But um, that is like such a limiter and it is it, uh, such a liability, right? It will keep you safe, but it also keep you from living out so many dreams because you feel like it's not going to work for you or the other shoe is going to drop. Or yeah. I remember, you know, joking with my dad about this, the worst advice he's ever given me. We had just gotten the RV, driven from, you know, we picked it up in Michigan, drove down to Florida, and he's saying goodbye to me. And we never traveled as kids. My dad, my parents worked seven days a week for like the first eight years of their business and then six days a week for the next 18. Something crazy, right? Yeah. We didn't go on vacations, really. I mean, maybe a couple ever. He's walking me out to the RV and he goes, hey, listen, Peter, I know that you're like hell bent on this whole thing working and you bought an RV and all that, but this is the advice I want to give you. As soon as you run in your first roadblock, as soon as something goes sideways, just turn around and go home. <laughs> and I go, I go, Dad, you've given me some really good advice over yeah. the years. This is by far the worst advice you've ever given me. Yeah. As soon as it gets hard, you want me to turn around? Yeah. Like, what's, what's, what are you, are you crazy? You know? So we can laugh about it now, but it's like, that's what I grew up in, right? And 
it was it was necessary for them. It's like, man, like there was a lot of scarcity there. There was not a lot of abundance. Like they needed to protect it. My my parents literally paid off their house with money they put in a box that you had to unscrew and open. And yet, I remember him opening it because he literally couldn't stuff any more cash in it. And this was not a small box, right? And he paid his house off with that. Like that's the way that they thought, right? And it worked for them, and it was necessary maybe for that generation. But man, does that stick with you, dude? And that will limit so many things. So I love what you said. It's like, what if it does work? Yeah. You're never like you're guaranteed for it not to work if you don't go after it. Yeah. Like that hundred percent guarantee is never gonna work. And so what if it does work? I have a friend who once told me a few years ago, he said, Yeah, when when I run into problems or like when I'm trying to pursue a business idea or whatever, and I run into any problems, I take that as the universe telling me it's not the right move mm. and I quit. And I was like, that's the worst advice I've ever heard. So it echoes your dad. Maybe maybe they were friends with your dad. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe they're hanging out. They're having a drink right now. He was an older now. gentleman, though. So I wonder if maybe it's a maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. But Could it's uh, fascinating. All right. So how do you balance? Let's, let's talk about this. As an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, you've done lots of this stuff. How do you balance persistence and sticking through a business idea with it's just not the right idea. It doesn't have product market fit or just not the right thing. I need to give up or I need to pivot and do something different. How do you balance those two things? People say, stick with it and you'll get there. But it's not always the case. Yeah. I surround myself with people that are way smarter. Mm. And it doesn't mean that they have all the answers. It doesn't mean they're right. But I'll start, I'll, I will talk to them and I'll ask them, like, hey, man, like if I need if I need digital marketing help, or if I need help with supply chain, like it doesn't really matter. I know people everywhere. And again, this goes back to community. So another plug for community, right? Just asking people who can do it in their sleep, like who's got an unconscious competence for this? Yeah. Right? Real estate, I don't know how many times I've called you, bro, where I'm like, hey, man, I don't know, dude. This like house is doing really well, but should I get rid of it? And you're like, Peter, it's so simple. Like it's one simple calculation. I'm like, okay, thanks, bro. Like I would have <laughs> lamented about it for six months or a year, maybe held onto that property forever. Yeah. But instead I sold it, right? And the second, the next property we sold was on that. I didn't have to call you because it was like, oh yeah, that's right. Brandon said this. That's right. I'm going to do that calculation. Oh, no, of course we're going to sell this property. And it worked out really well. And now that property is probably worth a million dollars more. No, it's screwed you over. No, dude. (laughs) It it actually, it went down in value. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It worked out really well. So the story for another day. But for me, it's, it's asking those questions. It's paying attention to the clues. I probably persevere too long Mm. because I don't want to lose, man. Like I want to win. And some people are like, oh, I don't really care about winning. It's about the game. I'm like, I want to win. Like, I want to freaking win. And so I'll stick with it a little too long. But at the same time, it's like paying attention to the clues, figuring out what's not working, talking to people who have an unconscious competence in that yeah. lane and continuing to pick at it until you're like, you know what? I feel like I've got to, I've like, this has been a good go. Yeah. Like I tried. Like I cannot finish this race. Yeah. I've tried and I've tried and I can't finish this race. Now we're not going to persevere any longer. Yeah, that's my advice. It's maybe not the best advice, but that's how I look at it. I think that's smart. I'm I'm reading a book. I just finished it today called The Road Less Stupid, Keith Cunningham. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talks in there about uh, the importance of having a like board of directors, even if you're like a one person company, Hmm. having a board of directors, a group of people who you can rely on for advice, who are not afraid to say you're a moron, like you did that wrong, like that's stupid. Because again, it's like that you said earlier, the uh, unconscious competence, right? Yeah. Like when some, yeah. When somebody comes to me, if they were like, hey, what do you think about this real estate deal? Like, I'm I'm pretty good at being able to, like, look at it and tell them if it's, uh, you know, my thoughts on it. Yeah. Or at least tell them all the dangers. Like, oh, yeah, this is what I'd watch out for. Or do you, you didn't add CapEx into your calculation. Whatever those things are. So, yeah, who are those people in your life that you can rely on? I think that's a good question for all of us to ask. And I have resisted that. 
having those people and calling them. For years, I've resisted that. Uh, and when I really try to think of why that is, it, it's nothing but ego. Like if I'm asking for help, it means that I'm not good enough. Yeah. And therefore, I don't want to ask for help because I don't want to admit that I'm not good enough. How do I overcome that, Yeah, coach? Well, I think that there's a, there's a couple of things. I love it, man. Can we call you coach? You call me coach all you want. I'm like the worst <laughs> at sports, though. It's just a funny word. Anyways, I think that there's a couple of things. It's interesting you said not good enough. I think there's that apprehension. There's also the apprehension where you're like, man, that person's like so far along. Yeah. They're not going to be able to relate. Yeah. Or I don't want to bother them. Yeah. That's huge. Too. And here's what's crazy, Brandon, is like people love to help yeah. Like I'm, sh- you love to be like, oh, I got this knowledge, and somebody asked me, I, I this is awesome. Yeah. I got to help Peter like get out of a property that he maybe would have been stuck in whatever. This is a victory. Is inc- like people love to help. I don't know. I I don't know if I know anybody who doesn't love to help and like share their knowledge. If you ask an old timer like, hey, what was it like? They're gonna talk your ear off, right? Yeah. What was it like to be in X or do Y? Right? They're gonna talk to you about their career. And so I think knowing that people love to help is important. And I think that. The ego only gets in the way, right? Like, what's ego is the enemy? Ryan Holiday, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. ego. There's, there's nothing really good about ego. There's nothing really positive about ego. You can be confident, right? Like, one of my favorite quotes is, and it's from I forgot what venture capital firm it is. Strong opinions loosely held. Yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about. I don't yeah, know it's an Andreessen or something. I yeah, can't remember, probably. but, but, like, you can be confident. You're like, man, I got this idea and it's incredible, but I'm willing to be wrong. Who do I know that's got the unconscious competence that I can run this by yeah. and be ready to defend it and be okay if they're like, dude, Peter, you you missed it. Like yeah. this is there's CapEx, bro. Like this deal doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you helped me avoid that. Yeah. I don't need to be the smartest guy. I just want to win. And if I win because Brandon helped me out and I was wrong and I said it, okay, that's okay. Right? We get the win together. Yeah. You so know the, the I don't embarrassing... know if that's good. Well, the the embarrassing truth for me when I think about when I don't want to ask somebody for help in something is I'm afraid they're going to tell me, for example, let's just say there's a real estate deal that I want to do and I don't ask for help. What I'm, it's not even just ego, maybe even a bigger piece of it or a large chunk of it is I, I don't want them to say it's a bad deal. Right. And therefore, if I don't ask them, then I don't have to, you, have to, you don't have I, to defend it. I don't have to. Yeah. And so therefore I just won't ask. And that's the most ridiculous, ludicrous thing because like, I don't want to buy a bad deal. But I, so it goes back to ego. I don't want to be told that I bought a bad, that I was about to buy a bad deal. So if I just bury my head in the sand, I don't have to worry about it. And uh, yeah, thankfully I surround myself with smart, uh, a lot of smart team members who help me vet all the deals now. Because yeah. like, and I've, I've had, I put them in the place so that I'm not just, because yeah, my own instinct is to be super positive about everything and assume everything's a great deal. Mm-hmm. And so I surround myself with underwriters and very negative people, not personality wise, but their default is no. Yeah. And so I had to convince them. In fact, that's one thing I love about Josh Dorkin. I, I've told him uh, this before. Is he's just default, so negative. Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> no, he's just, his default is always like, no, convince me. Yes. Like, even like when we started the Bigger Pockets podcast, it was like, nah, nah. And I'm like, no, we should do a podcast. He's like, no, nah, no one likes podcasts. I'm like, no, this is going to be a big thing. He's like, no, we already missed it. And I had to convince him that podcasting wasn't a thing that we could do. And then when I convinced him, it's that, it's that strong opinions loosely held. That's right. Because what Josh, what his, that superpower is, and it's, this is in no way, I hope people are not taking this as I'm ripping on Josh. It's one of the most powerful superpowers because Josh is the least shiny object person that I know. He does not just go off a shiny object. He sticks with one thing for 20 years because he just says no to everything. Yeah. Unless you can convince him that it's actually worth doing. And that is a superpower because yeah, it's just, 
what's that? Uh, oh, there's a famous quote, I think it was Einstein or something like that, but just been like successful people uh, do a lot of things and really successful people do very few things. It's mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah. so that, that strong opinion is loosely held. That same story that I read that quote on, it had to do with someone bringing a deal, having to be prepared to defend it yeah. like tooth and nail. Yeah. And everybody else, even if they love the idea, they all said it sucked. <laughs> right? It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I think like for you, and you're, you're, you were asking that question, like how, what to do about it. It's almost like a muscle that needs to be worked yeah. to be prepared to defend your idea tooth mm-hmm. and nail and to know that the board of directors, like you were saying, or whoever you're surrounding yourself with is going to argue it with you. Yeah. It's such a great muscle to work. It's actually one of my, my fears of being a CEO, you know, being in charge of several companies is that my team tends to just, because I write the checks, right? So if I say we're going to do something, I'll, almost everyone on my team will just be like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Hmm. And like, it's almost like I need to tell them. And I've, we've had the conversation, like, I need you to push me back. Like, because I will be, in fact, Alex, Alex is the most negative person outside of Josh. So he will automatically <laughs> say no to everything too. But Alex has a joke. He always says, oh, everyone put on your raincoat. It's about the rain ideas. And like, whenever I start talking, and he's like, just let it wash off you. Don't let it stick. Brandon doesn't mean it. And I'm like, no, I really mean it. Because in the moment, I mean it entirely. Yeah. Like, it's an amazing idea. Mm-hmm. And then later on, like, he's just, he's learned that that's just who I am. Is I'm going to throw a lot of ideas out there. So, yeah, it's like we need to surround ourselves as, as CEOs with not just people who say, yes, okay, because you wrote the check. But people who are saying, no, that's not, that's not one of our rocks. That's not one of our goals. That's not one of our initiatives that we have already defined in a non-emotional setting that we are going to do. So no, I know you're CEO, but no. Yeah. And the only way that you can do that, only way that I've seen that done respectfully and in a healthy environment is because the CEO says what you just said and they mean yes. it. Yeah. And the way that they mean it and the way that they show that they mean it is they're de- they don't get defensive. Yep. We call it triggers and weapon systems, right? So they don't get triggered by that by that by those people. And so for like for me, I'm a pioneer. A pioneer, my triggers are perceived incompetence, somebody threatening my vision, somebody wasting my time, mm. right? And so someone who's going to be asking the questions and shooting down ideas, they're going to be all three of those. If you're asking questions, I might perceive you as incompetent because why don't you just get it? Yeah. If you're asking these questions, you're wasting my time and you're threatening my vision. We need to just go, right? Yep. And so then my weapon system is a grenade launcher. This is the terminology that we use, which is funny because I have a World War II grenade on my desk. Literally, it's been there ten years. Part of our road tripping, actually. Is it like active? I mean, like it's it, no, no. It was a practice one. It has a <laughs> okay. hole in the bottom. Yeah. I did. Funny story. I had it in a cup holder in my car for like three or four months because I picked it up in Nebraska. Yeah. And um, friend of mine, he saw me get in my car. He goes, "What was that?" And I said, "Oh, it's World War II practice grenade." And he goes, "Have you looked in the mirror lately?" <laughs> what, what would happen if you got pulled over and the cops <laughs> saw you grenade. had a grenade in your car? get it out of your car, man. I go, okay, fine. I'll get it out of my car. But so dude, if I get triggered frequently and deploy my weapon system constantly, I could say all that I want till I'm blue in the face that I'm okay with people pushing back, but I've demonstrated through my actions that I'm not actually. And people will stop pushing back on Brandon, right? They'll stop pushing back on Peter because it's like, yeah, bro, you say you're cool with pushbacks, but you're not. And you, you show us that with your actions. And then what happens is it undermines your influence with those people. You can't have influence over them because yeah. like, yeah, every time Brandon shares an idea, every time Peter shares an idea, he wants feedback, but he doesn't really. Yeah. So I'm just going to be nodding my head and say, okay, and then we're going to clean up the mess because it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. How have you become a better father in the past few years? I don't know. In some ways I haven't. In many ways I haven't. A book, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, 
the ruthless elimination of hurry, yeah. mm-hmm. which I think I had recommended to you, and I think you've read a couple yeah, times already. I've yeah. read it many times. That's uh, right. You are the first one they recommend that to John, me. John, have... Well, and it's that's a hard dude. That's a notch on my belt because you and I chat, and usually I come away with like seventy five book recommendations. <laughs> I think I'm still going through the book recommendations you gave me eighteen months ago uh, when I was here. Like that book, dude, hit me so hard yeah. because it's a Christian book. You can read it from whatever angle you want, but just about how sacred the Sabbath is yeah. and like truly taking 24 hours off and unplugging and just being together. Yep. And so for me, when I can, I'm not always good at it. I'll take my Apple watch off, phones on airplane mode, leave it on my desk, yeah. like leave that crap behind and come downstairs and like truly be with my kids and see them. And so when I had this, the Slow Hustle podcast, I used to have a band that I would wear and I had hustle on one side and slow on the other. And I would like visually turn it and for me, it was like this cue, like, all right, bro, like hustle mode's over. Like, forget about the emails that just got sent. The emails are left, all the work left undone. Like, you're done with that crap yeah. until tomorrow. You're going to go down and be with your kids, and they're going to be excited to see you. And I think the absolute worst thing we can do as parents is kids walking out to the car, you're coming home, you're still on the phone, you pat them on the head, oh, yeah. you wag your finger like, just one second, yep. I have five more minutes, you like, be quiet. That's the worst thing that we can do. Yep. Like, they couldn't wait to see you, and what did you just tell them? Like, dads, this is more important than you. And then their excitement fades. Yeah. And then you get off the phone, you're like, hey, what did you want to tell me? Yep. Hey, Summit, what did you want to tell me? He's like, no, nothing, never mind. Yep. Yeah, that's powerful, man. There's a Brendan Burchard in uh, High Performance Habits. He mm, good book, a, man. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, he gives this tip in there, and I'm going to probably butcher it because it's been a while since I read it, but he said something along the lines of every time he goes through a doorway, he realigns himself on what's his purpose in that room. Hmm. Uh, and it, the, the, he used the example of, yeah, coming home from work. When he walks through the threshold, like the doorway of his house, he's like, it's like the physical thing where you're saying, you turned your thing from calm to, you know, or hustle, slow to hustle, mm-hmm. right? It's that idea. I walked in the room and now I'm, I left everything outside. This is a new room. And I think there's actually a lot of magic in the rituals of that, like the physical turning of the thing or mm-hmm. the, the hitting a doorpost when you walk into a room. I think there's, when you can connect a feeling with some kinny, kin, what's the word? Kinesthetic. Kinesthetic, yeah. Like some kind of movement or action that aligns with a new feeling you want to have and you can bridge those together when you want to get, I mean, this is like Tony Robbins priming, right? Like his whole thing. Like there's, you tie the things together and then you can put yourself in that state by by doing that action, like the thing. What was it? it was not a watch band. It was, a, it was just a leather band. Leather band, yeah. yeah. Very cool. I have, a, I have a leather band in a similar way that uh, actually a listener of the podcast, because I was talking, I, I used to always, I still do when I give speeches, I sometimes talk about how if I want to be more like a certain person, for example, we talked about earlier, right? David Goggins. Like I want to be more of a like a badass David Goggins type. I want to be able to like not just shut down after 20%. I want to go to 100%. Okay, so what would David Goggins do? WWDD, no, DGD, right? Like the WWJD bracelets from back in the day. Yeah. But what I always ask is I really, you know, I admire uh, Elon Musk a lot, Ed Milet, uh, you know, even, you know, Tony Robbins, Richard Branson. I look at those guys uh, very much as like, these are people. So I used to say WWEMD, what would uh, Elon Musk do? So somebody gave me a little leather bracelet that says on one side WWEMD, the other side WWJD. It's getting that rem- reminder. Like, you can be in hustle mode and you can be in Elon Musk mode. Yeah. Like, how would Elon do it? Because I, I admire the way Elon runs businesses and the way he, he leads. Uh, but I also, that's not the most important thing. So, yeah. anyway. I love that, man. That's good. All right, man. I'm going to ask you a few questions here. 
Okay. Uh, this is largely for the gram, but it's for, uh, I, I just like this segment. I don't have a name for it yet, but it's basically, we'll call it fill in the blank. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to start a sentence and I want you to finish the sentence and you can repeat what I say to make it nice and succinct for a, a statement. But okay. I got I, probably three of them here. First one, failure is blank. Failure is inevitable. Mm. That's good. That was very succinct. <laughs> I love it. Number two. This one's a little bit more big. We'll see where you come to and get to. The secret to my entrepreneurial success has been. The secret to my entrepreneurial success has been to put in the work and not be afraid of it. Not for working your way to massive wealth. <laughs> no, no, no. I think to not be scared of doing the hard thing, to learn and grow in areas that you just don't know anything about. You know, so if you don't know anything about digital marketing, but that's necessary for your career and your business to take off, like roll up your sleeves and figure it out. Yeah. Um, you don't have to wear all those hats all the time. I think that's like the solopreneur's dilemma. You're wearing all the hats and yeah. it's necessary. You don't have the budget to hire all those people. So you learn it all, but then you wear those, all those hats for way too long. You persevere for way too long in bookkeeping or, you know, controlling or whatever. And instead letting those go when they're necessary. Yeah. Um, especially the things that you're worst at. Uh, but the secret to my entrepreneur success has been to not be afraid of the things that I don't know and to not have ego surrounding those things. And instead to be like, who do I know that can teach me this stuff? And I'm confident that I can figure it out. I'm not going to be world-class at everything, but I can get this thing off the ground. That's good, man. In a similar vein, uh, but let's see if you have a different answer for this one. I don't want to phrase it. We'll say the thing most new entrepreneurs don't realize is the thing most entrepreneurs don't realize is it takes a lot longer than you think. It's not going to be like a, you know, inflection point moment where you get a share on social and everything's going to blow up and it's going to make your world. Those happen. It's extremely rare. Yeah. And most of it's just putting one foot in front of the other. It's slow and steady progress. It's lots of focus. It's lots of long nights. And um, it's a lot of hard work, man. And so I think that what happens is that they, they, the new entrepreneur thinks that, man, I'm just, all I got to do, I just got to get on Brandon's podcast. Yeah. Man, he's going to make my career. And it's not going to be like that. You might get a spike. Joe Rogan might share your stuff. He shared our stuff. Mm. And we're going to have a spike. He's not going to make our business. Maybe if we were homies and we're on the show every <laughs> single week, but that's not going to happen either. Right? And so we're looking at these unicorn companies that had some sort of like, a ton of luck and hard work involved and we're trying to replicate that and it's not going to happen. Yeah. That's such a good answer, man. Yeah. For years, I used to think like, yeah, the secret was getting that viral post. What, like I'd grow, you know, it, it, it never is. Like, I mean, almost every case of every super successful person I know, almost, I mean, I don't know if I can think of one it, that it didn't fit this mold, which was they worked for a decade at it. Like, it means like almost everybody now, maybe they pivoted a few times, and so it looks like it was a lot faster than it was, but almost everybody I know has just busted their tail for a decade. Mm. And and there was no, like, there was no necessary, even when we talk about hockey stick growth, even that, like, I've never really, I mean, I guess you could say the last five years or four years of investing in Open Door Capital was, I guess, unit number was kind of hockey stick. But the number of deals I'm buying, I'm still buying three, four deals a year, five deals, six deals a year. It's just, they just happen to be 200 unit properties now instead of one unit properties. But I never had a viral video until a month ago. 
in my entire life. I never had a viral video of anything social media. I've just been working Instagram for seven years now, so my account's kind of big because I've been yeah. working at it every single day for seven years. If you do anything every day for seven years, you probably have some success in that or you are, you or need you're, to quit. Yeah, <laughs> no. or you're really, really bad at you're it. You're really, really bad at it. Yeah, uh, and I think that's so important, man, because if you saw behind the scenes of what you were doing, it's probably pretty dang boring. Yeah. It's just yeah. It's, it's just, just like work. one foot in front of yeah. it's really boring, right? And eventually you finish the marathon, but you know what, man? You're like so one foot in front of the other, Forrest Gumping this thing. Yeah. Like just, you know, it's just a, a tremendous amount of hard work and perseverance. The thing that I think the secret sauce is that people need to understand is you actually, it's not imperative, but it's it's helpful if you actually like what you're doing. Yeah. Like you actually like what you're selling. Yeah. You actually believe in it. The best salespeople like believe in the product that they're hawking, right? They're, they they love it. They're like, man, this is the best thing in sliced bread. Like, you should own one. You really should. I believe in it. Now, it's not imperative, but you love real yeah. estate. Yeah. And yeah. it shows, right? People see it. They're like, dang, dude. Like, this is like, I was telling the kids one day, watching you do real estate is like watching a musician on stage. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not I'm not blowing smoke. I'm serious. It's like watching somebody like, dude, that dude was meant to play guitar, right? Like, you see that person on stage, you're like, that guy. He came out of the womb, guitar in hand, like, this is what he's meant to be doing, right? You can feel that when somebody's in the, they're in the pocket. They're yeah. exactly where they need to be. Yeah. And so if you can find that, I mean, lucky enough to overlap that with your work and not everybody, you know, some people have to be worm farmers, as Mike Rowe says. Yeah. Then, dude, it will, that that to me is the is the only accelerant that I can think of and still seven yeah. years of trudging along, right? Yeah. But seven instead of 17, perhaps. Yeah. Because you're like, dude, I don't care if anybody's watching this crap. This is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a word that my buddy David Green used with me one time. Is he said, and he was talking about how like it was when Open Door Capital started really taking off. He said, "Man, you seem so aligned." And I like that word aligned. Like I was a lot. Like the the alignment was there. And mm -hmm. I think that's what like the guy on stage playing the guitar. He's a like he loves it, but he's also just aligned in it. Like you know, like it, at, everything in his life just is just in flow in this direct alignment. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so beautiful to watch. I think and trying to find that in your own life when you aren't passionate about the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're faking it. And people can tell whether or not you could be the best actor in the world. I mean, I've probably sold, I would guess 30,000 pro memberships of bigger pockets over the years. Like I, all the webinars I did, I bet you 20 or 30,000 pro memberships. And I was so good at it because I actually believe in the pro membership. It's like 40 bucks a month and you can analyze as many real estate deals as you want. I'm like, how does that not pay back a thousand fold? Like yeah. it's such a low amount of money for such an amazing, if it helps you buy one more deal or helps you avoid one bad deal, and Bigger Pockets is not paying me to say this today, but like if it helps you buy one more good deal ever, it pays for it a hundred thousand times over. So like that's what a good, yeah, that's what a good business owner or salesperson does. They believe in their product. Yeah. Uh, so how did you, I mean, as a guy who owns a meat company, mm -hmm. right? Like how did you stay consistent? And I know you're, you've really broadened now and, and kind of brought into this coaching thing, but how did you stay committed to that for so long? Do you still just love eating meat Yeah. or did you love something else about it that stuck with it so long? You stuck with it so long. You know, dude, I think for me, e-commerce is, it's so simple. And I told the story earlier about this buying a can of soup for 40 cents, selling yeah. it for a dollar. E-commerce is like the, my parents' grocery store on the internet. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is interesting. Right. And so I think that helped me stick with it for so long. But the thing that I want to actually touch on that you brought up that I think is really critical. And I'm going to quote my buddy, Zach Ware, who was head of product at, at Zappos, just a really incredible human being. 
for the person that's trying to get aligned, to use the words that you just, the, the terminology you just used, he's like, because I was, I was talking to him about purpose. This was, I think, three years ago. This, is, this was really what started me on my coaching journey. He's like, you got to answer three questions. If you can answer these three questions, it will put you on your path to purpose. You might not perfectly align, but you'll be dang close. It's like three simple questions, very difficult to answer. What are your superpowers? What do you want the work to look like? What do you want the incentives to be? If you can answer those three questions, you'll be on your path. And so for me, I got a coach. He's like, what do you want to work on? I go, dude, I don't even know my superpowers. I don't, I, don't, I don't have any. I don't think. I don't know what they are. And so picking away at that and asking the questions and looking for the clues help you to figure out what those superpowers are. Now, I found out mine and I was immediately depressed. <laughs> Why? Why? And he's that? like, Peter, what's going on? I go, these are not marketable skills, man. Like, this is not a job. Like, I can make friends places. Like, I, what do I do with this crap, you know? And he's like, oh, no, you don't misunderstand. You got superpowers figured out. Now, what do you want the work to look like? You're not going to figure it out right away. It's like when you decide to buy a four-door Jeep Wrangler, and now all of a sudden there's four-door Jeep Wranglers everywhere. No, they were there the whole time. Yeah. Right? What is that? The reticular, the reticular active, activating system. Yeah. yeah. I hate that word, but I can't ever say it. Um, that's all that is, right? And so, like, if you find out what the superpowers are, then you start paying attention. Coaching was right in front of my face the whole time. I just missed it. Mm. And so figure out the superpowers. Then you start looking for opportunities to like flex those superpowers. And you figure out like, oh, here are these industries that I didn't realize were even jobs or businesses. Oh my gosh. And it's like, all right, so what do I want the incentives to be? I don't know. Like I'm now for me, I just continuing to MVP the coaching business to figure out like what are, how do my incentives align with my superpowers, align with my my purpose, right? And so like Figuring those things out, I think for the listener, they got to be asking these questions and not be in a hurry for it. This is, again, this is not like this flash in the pan sort of thing or inflection point, right? Like you're not going to figure it out overnight. I'm three years into this journey now, just trying to pay attention to the clues of life. And here's what's cool, man, as I was telling you about talking to people that have the unconscious competence. As I started thinking about coaching, I started asking friends like, hey, I want you to shoot this idea down. This is what I'm thinking about doing. And time and time again they're like oh of course you're doing that yeah i'm like what do you mean they're like this is like bro this is like again this is like the guy playing the guitar on yep. stage like dude this of course this is you yeah when you told me you were gonna do it i was like well of course you are yeah, it, was this, <laughs> it was like i was like that just feels aligned it's, yeah jimmy totally. hendrix going i think i'm gonna play guitar everyone's like yeah, well yeah <laughs> of course you've been doing it for a long time in your basement we've heard you it's like really it's good amazing you're, just, you're yeah. not like you're not doing it out in public yeah. you were on that short list of people i talked to man <laughs> And uh, so time and time again, they're like, of course, man. I have a friend of mine was like, Peter, you've been coaching me for like seven years. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? You're losing your mind? He's like, no, dude, every time I'm with you, like you ask me questions, you're incredible at inquiry, you help me solve problems I didn't know I had, and I leave feeling rejuvenated and energized. And I'm like, dude, how did I miss this, right? It's right in front of my face. Mm. I just didn't realize it was a job for me. I didn't even know it was a business. I didn't know anything about it. I have exposure to it. So what did I start doing? I started talking to every coach I could talk to. What's your business like? What does it look like? Help me. Like, how do you get started? You know, started asking those questions and picking away at it. And so the, I think that if person listening is, hasn't listened to anything we've talked about, like that to me, like ask yourself those three fundamental questions. Will you review those one more time? The what are your questions. superpowers? Superpowers. What do you want the work to look like? What do you want the incentives to be? What do you mean by incentive? Like, what do you want the incentives to be? Meaning, like, how much do you want to make, or what? How do you want to be rewarded for? Is that the idea? I take it as, what do you want your life to look like? Okay. Right? Because, like, you could say, yeah, I want to make gobs of money, and okay. I want to like hoard cash and buy a bunch of McLarens or something. Or you could say, 
you know what, dude? I just want to cover all my expenses and work as little as possible. Mm. Like those are the incentives, uh, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you want to have a you want to have a vacation home in Maui next to Brandon, right? Where, oh, whatever oh. it is, right? Come We're, on over. Come we'll, on over. We'll Friday night dinner, Sabbath dinner together. Be great. <laughs> there you go. But like, whatever you want those incentives. Like, what are the incentives for you? And so for me, I was very very clear on like my ideal life. Like, what does that life look like? Yeah, that's good, so, man. Yeah, really good. Thanks. All right, dude, let's move on to the next segment of the okay, show. Let's go. This one is, uh, why don't we do the past, present, future? I need yeah. some sound effects. I, don't, I, I want to get buttons on the table. So be like, it's time for the <laughs> past, present, future. <laughs> I don't have it yet. I'm getting it. All one right, day. first question. What advice would you give your younger self? This is past, present, future. So first one's past. What advice would you give your past? That's it. Yeah, your, well, your younger self, what advice would you give them? My younger self, I mean, so many, so many, it, you know, you look back at yourself and you're like kind of almost not disgusted, but you're like, man, dude, I was an idiot, right? <laughs> but it ever happened to you? You're like, back, you're like, did I say that to somebody? I said that out loud? Yeah. Gosh, ego. I think my younger self, if I could have gotten this idea of community and mentorship earlier, um, it, I would have grown so much faster. And you can't, it's hard for me. Like, I don't like questions like this because it's like, okay, well, I'm where yeah, I'm at. Were, yeah, exactly. I'm where I'm at. And this is, you know, this is ordained. And, and yeah, this... almost like a twist on the question is more like somebody else you meet is exactly where you were mm-hmm. 20 years ago. What advice do you have for them? Right. Because yeah. like, yeah, because you, you don't want to change. Yeah. If you go back and change one thing, then you might not ever met your wife. Totally. So like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if I met someone that was like me, that's, you know, 20 years younger than I am right yep. now, I think that I, I would be um I, I i would push on them to make community build mentorship not think that i have all the answers not think that i'm smarter than everyone like this is a lot of it's surrounding ego and so i did surround myself with a few mentors but then when they would tell me stuff i would just be like ah they're old they don't like you're not even you're not even relevant anymore right and so i think that i would leave that ego off the table and under and understand that there's always wisdom there Times change, technology changes. It doesn't really matter, right? Like Amazon, Sears, Roebuck, online, it's the same thing, right? Um, and so I think that just appreciating the wisdom that you could surround yourself with and really, really listening um, and removing the ego. Let me expand on that before I get to the present and future question. You know, I have a mentor that, I have a mentor, a good friend of mine that helped me through a lot of real estate stuff. And when I told him I was going to go and scale up with mobile home parks, he said, terrible idea. Mobile home parks are garbage. You don't want to own them. I had a you know friend who owned them. He hated it. Mm-hmm. You should not do that. So how do you balance now today? You know I've got whatever six thousand, seven thousand mobile home park units. Right. It's a very good business. I really like it a lot. It's hard. So how do you balance a mentor's or a wise person's advice when it is it is biased on their own views? Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you, how do you balance what to take and what not to take from a mentor? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, I always use this phrase, consider the source. Okay. And so someone could be very, very knowledgeable, let's say in this example of real estate, but really how much experience did that person have yeah. in mobile home parks? Yeah. Did he just hear that they were bad? He had a friend that had one and it didn't work out. Like that's that's not a lot of data. Yeah. And so I say, I would, to me, I would put that in my back pocket and be like, okay, you know, Keith or John or whoever it is, right? This person, this guy or gal gave me this piece of advice. That's in the cons column, right? This is not a vote. This is a vote not to do it. Yeah. I need to go collect some more data. Mm. Now, if you told me that that person had 5,000 pads yeah. or 500 pads, and he's like, hey, listen, this is what's going on in the market. 
This is not going well. I'm actually offloading all of mine. This is what's going on. I've been doing it for 10 years. That would hold a lot more weight. So I would always consider the source. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. That's exactly what it is. And I, I was asked, like, at the time I asked, why would he say this? And when I looked at it, it's because his vision of his incentives, like to go right there, like his incentives was to work as little as possible, hmm. to have just enough to pay the bills, like, and, you know, and enjoy life and then spend a lot more time with family and friends at home. And like that, that was his vision of success. Yeah. And which is not my vision of success. I like growing big businesses. I like, he thought employees were terrible. You don't want to have employees, but I'm like, I, I kind of like having a team. I love having a team. Um, yeah, there's challenges to it. It's not always easy, but I love it. So again, yeah, considering the source and um, why they say it is what they say. And maybe that's a question I could have fired back at him is like, well, why would you say that? It's not a good idea. Yeah. And then, well, my, my buddy had one. Oh, just one. Like, what didn't he like about it? Like, and working with the mentor, I think I, had I done that with my, with this guy, I think we would actually probably walked away. Uh, I would have walked away better, but I didn't push him on it because I didn't want conflict. Right. So <laughs> to and circle we, back. And we yeah. come full yeah, circle. full circle here. <laughs> All right, man. Moving on to the second question of past, present, future. Uh, what are three things uh, in the present here, like this year you've recently implemented in your life? Could be an action, could be a habit, could be something you bought, whatever. Three things you've implemented in your life that is giving you a better life. Yeah, three things, deep and meaningful prayer, uh, first and foremost. And that definitely set in post-stroke for mm. you know, Windsor. And I shared that earlier, man. Like it's it's had a huge impact on me. Um, and it's I think a lot of that is like a release of ego. Um, trying to control a situation, thinking that I know better, I know the way that something's going to go, or I know the way that it should go. I think this is actually goes back to strong opinions loosely held. It's like, this is the way I'd like for it to go, but I'm also open to the fact that I don't know everything and I don't know how the story plays out. Um, so prayer is one. The other one, and this is community again, so plug number 763. <laughs> we started this Friday morning men's group, which actually sparked out of stroke situation too. And so this dude that I told you Steve, who connected me with Training Lab, he's like, dude, he texts me one day. He's like, bro, me and you, my buddy Bob, who you know Bob, and a couple other guys are like, man, you guys are- Sticker Bob? Sticker Bob. I love Sticker yeah, Bob. Yeah, shout out yeah, to Sticker Bob. He's going to love that he got out. a shout out yeah, here. Yeah, Sticker Bob. <laughs> if anybody needs swag done, he makes all the better life swag now. He's, oh, did, yeah, he's, he's doing all world class, yeah. and he's legendary in that space, man. Um, I should coach his team. His team's amazing. So- you know, it was five of us. We met at the pier 6 a.m. on Friday morning. And it was just like, hey, dude, we're all going through it. We'll read like a chapter of the Bible and just like talk about what it meant to us. And dude, religious or not, I don't care who's listening. It's more so like we built this brotherhood Yeah. that we, dude, anybody needs anything in that group? That group's up to 35 people now, by the oh, way. Oh, no way. Yeah. It, it's, it's actually, it's out of control. It's crazy. And <laughs> anybody needs anything. There's like, you know, somebody needs a, got a prayer request. Somebody needs to get picked up from the hospital. It doesn't matter. Like we're on it. It's amazing. And so that community has really sort of changed the game for me, man. Like it solidified our relationship to the area that we moved to, right? Just less than four years ago, but more so like knowing that you have that many people in your corner, like at a moment's notice that are going to drop everything and come help you out in some way. It's powerful. It's amazing. Third thing is one of the things we coach is your voice order, right? And everybody's got these five voices and I won't get into it, but understanding my voice and specifically the shadow of my voice and what it's like to sit across the table from me and deal with my ideas and deal with my pioneering and my fire ready aim and also understanding other people's voices. It's really, it's helped me to be a much better leader, to be much more understanding and patient, to see their strengths as a strength versus a weakness that needs to be overcome or steamrolled or grenade launched. 
and what I told you earlier, which is calibrating support and challenge to that person and being like, okay, I know that when Brandon talks to me, he's going to ask me for all the details. So I better damn sure be prepared when I pitch an idea to him. I better have all my, not all my I's dotted and T's crossed, but a lot more than I would have. Yeah. And then I'm prepared for you to push back on me. And I'm going to respect that you're going to push back because you are not trying to challenge my vision. You're not threatening my vision. You want to see it succeed. You're actually in my corner. We're not boxing against each other. Like you're in my corner. You're like, dude, homie, I want you to succeed. And because of that, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I see that as an asset. And so it makes our organization more efficient. It makes my friendships more efficient. It makes them much more effective. It makes more for a more fulfilling sort of life, man. And so those are the three things for me. I love it, dude. Last question the past, present, future. What do you want your legacy to be? And a way to reframe that question is, when you pass away, what do you want people to say about you? You know, this has been sitting here, and it's something called a legend planner, and I'm about to finish my third one. Mm. And I have it written down, dude. Legend planner? Yeah. That's like a thing? It's a thing. How do I want to be remembered? I'll just read it to you. All right. A guy you just want to be near. He loved to tell stories and make people laugh. A man of integrity whose family was foremost. A man of God who exemplified faith and action. He used his genius to live a life of excellence in every area. He was a masterful coach, getting people to overcome obstacles and make big change. His curiosity drove breakthrough. His re- relatability built trust. That's really good. Thanks. It's one thing One thing we do in the, uh, in the Better Life Tribe that I'm a big fan of is we call it identity-based goal setting. So it's not basing goals based on what you want to have, but based on who you want to be. And so we, you know, go through like the idea of identity statements of like, this is who I am. But I like, I might even reframe that within the tribe to make it more related to this question of, yeah, like not just an identity statement, but what do you want your legacy identity statement to be like? Like that's powerful. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, tell me more about this book thingy. What is this? The legend? Oh, like, the what? legend planner? Yeah. What is legend planner? Dude, it's an Amazon planner, right? There's like nothing probably special about this one. I don't know how I landed on it. I think yeah. I realized one day that I needed it. It's got like this areas of awareness and self-discovery, vision, 50 dreams. I only have 28 on here. Your most important life goals in six different or yeah. eight different areas of your life. And then your one-year goals, which then break down to your quarterly goals, which then break down to your monthly goals. And I've got them all tabbed. And then you've got your weeks, right? And the weeks have habit tracking in there. Every day I write down kind of like how the day went and like highlights of that. Um, This week's wins, how you'll improve next week. And then I also journal in the back. And so to me, I kind of keep it with me everywhere. And then I've got a laminated sheet on here. And then we're going to talk about books, but this is from a book. I'm going to. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. It's very similar idea with like that. We call it the better life book. It's basically our journal. It has the same, the same idea. We start with vision, identity, uh, the statements. We go into annual goals, quarterly goals, weekly habits, all that stuff. So Love it. Very similar. Like, cause that stuff works, right? Like mm-hmm. as I was putting research, when I built the intention journal years ago for bigger pockets, when I built the better life book now, this stuff works. Like mm-hmm. this is what, like nothing I'm doing is like making, like it's brand new. And that's, it's reassuring to see things like that. Like, oh, this works for you too. Like it's working for all of us. Yeah. It's then, usually, yeah. it's usually powerful, dude. And one other thing I want to underscore is the importance of reading back through it frequently. Yeah. yeah. Cause dude, I'll go back through, like I recently, actually in preparation for the show, I was looking for a quote and I'm like, I think it was in my second planner. I went through, I started reading some of the things I was working on. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, come so far. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, I like thought about that and I was working on that and like it, I did it already. Yeah. And so to see the things that were checked off because you were being deliberate and intentional, yeah. it's really, really powerful to go back and be like, man, if, cause in the moment you don't feel like you've gone very far. Yep. You're like, I got so much farther to go. I haven't really done anything yet. Yeah. And you look back, you're like, dude, that was only six months ago. 
six months ago, I was planning for X, Y, and Z. That I forgot that was like, it's, this is not even that old of an idea. Look how far we've gotten. Reminds me of the quote of like, uh, the things that uh, stress us today are the things we prayed for five years ago. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh man, the, the sun is just so bright coming in my window here in Hawaii in my fancy $4 million house. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. So yes. check, yeah, check our uh, uh, our privilege sometimes totally. with that. Like, 100%. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I, just, I found my journal the other day from six years ago, seven years ago. I think it was it was a, the very first like journal I ever bought, like a success-based journal. It was Grant Cardone's 10X journal. Mm. It was right when he, that 10X rule came out. Yeah. And it was a, uh, anyways, I, was, I found that and I'm looking through it. And it had things like, you know, like my goal for the quarter was like to finish writing the book on rental property investing. And it was like going to launch that the next quarter. And it was such a big thing. I'm like, man, that's been out for five or six years now. I sold a million plus copies. I would have never thought it would sell more than a few thousand, you know, like, but that was such a big deal back then. And now it's just, oh, it's just one of the books. That's amazing. Uh, it's fun to look back. I 100% agree. There's a great book out there. Have you read, uh, I, I rave about it all the time, very obscure, but it's called Storyworthy, mm -mm. Matthew Dix. Mm -mm. I love this book. It's all about competitive storytelling. By a guy who's won like the moth story slam, like that, like they do a lot of competitive, apparently competitive storytelling is a big thing. Apparently. Okay. So they just tell stories and then they have judges and they vote on it. But in here, he's got a chapter where he talks about the best, one of the best ways to get stories to tell in general, whether you're an author, a writer, speaker, coach, whatever, is every day just write down like one line of something that happened. They even have books like the line a day. I have one of those now. And just like write down a couple of keywords, like, you know, let the dog out, ran away, had to chase him down with my underwear, you know, like in my underwear. Uh, and like, you'll remember that later when you go back and review it. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. Like, write down what's happening in your life and mm -hmm. then go revisit it later. I love that. Yeah. It's like a little time machine. It's good. All right, man. That was past, present, future. Let's move on to the last little segment of this here podcast. And that is the three, the two, the one. So we're going to start with three, what I call pivot books. They're books that you've read and that have changed the direction of your life. We'll start there. Three pivot books. Yeah. So why. one I quoted earlier, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. And I explained why, which is just, it may help me to slow down. And the last thing I want to talk about with that book is, um, this is by John Mark Comer, by the way. I realize I'm in a hurry all the time. All the time. It's going nowhere. Yeah. I'm doing everything in a hurry. I'm eating my lunch in a hurry. Mm -hmm. I'm taking the trash out in a hurry. And the most hurtful thing that like really struck the core of my it's, it's of who I am is it was Brighton. I think I was passing through the house because I work from the house and the kids are home homeschooling. Like you know, our our home is a zoo. I'm walking by the kitchen or something, and she goes, "Hey, Dad, I don't want to say something. One second, one second, second." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> I've conditioned this kid." Yeah, the thing did. right. Dad's moving fast. She better get it out really quick. She better tell me it's only going to take a second because what am I going to say? Not right now. Yeah. I got a meeting. I'm starting a meeting. I got to, I'm, I'm hopping on a show. I got, right. I got something to do. I got to do something. S sucks, dude. Yeah. A bad feeling. Second book. Hey, wait, let, let's sit on there just for a second. Yeah. I have a, I have a buddy who recently told me some advice and I thought it was just brilliant. He said he just made this change in his life where every time his kid, because he works at home also, every time his kid says, Hey daddy, can you do this? He's like, I could be in the middle of a meeting, had to run to the kitchen to grab a bite to eat or whatever, you know? And I run back and if he says, Hey daddy, he's like, I have a rule. I always give him one minute at least. I mm. sit down and I talk to him for a minute and I explain like, hey, I'm in the middle of a meeting maybe, but what can I do? I have one minute. You know, it's like this idea of like, I'm going to pause. He's like, at the end of the day, it goes back to the quote I said earlier, but is the person on that Zoom call that's waiting for you to get back from the bathroom going to care if you were two minutes late yeah. or one minute late? No. Will your kid continually care that you've always never had time for them? A hundred percent. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, anyway, I thought, yeah, the ruthless elimination of hurry was, that wrecked me too. I'd put that on my book. Yeah, he made this thing that I still, I think of every single day. He said, we don't stop at stop signs. We all roll through every stop sign. Every human just about rolls through every stop sign. And, you, and people are right now think, listening and going, no, I, I stop at stop signs. Watch yourself. You won't. <laughs> Nobody does it. Why? We're in a hurry. There's zero logic to like, to come to a complete stop, pause, and then go. What It adds a th- third of a second to your life. Like it's nothing, but it demonstrates why do we speed? Go to the store. That's five miles away. And you go an extra 10 miles over the speed limit. You get there less than a minute early. It's mm-hmm. like 30 seconds early. What does that do to you? But we have this need to do it because we're in a hurry and we're in this rush, especially in our modern civilization of like, we got to go. So they just those practices, getting the practices of saying, I'm going to stop at the stop sign. I'm going to go the speed limit. I'm going to give my kid a minute, no matter what, yep. no matter what I'm doing. And those are just practices that encourage us to slow down. So, yeah. Great book choice. Yeah. And I also think too, man, is like you'll realize what it does to your heart rate, mm-hmm. your nervous system. I mean, you're just, you're wrecked all the yep, time. All the time. You're in a hurry all the time. Let's just take a second. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy to even be talking about that. Um, second one, winning the war in your mind. Craig Rochelle. Yeah. I don't know if you've read that. That's great. Um, dude. So this is the thing that's, that's laminated in my legend planner is my four lies, my truths and the declarations, right? Which, yeah. which I wrote for myself, my son, some he laminated for me. I keep it in here. And it is so such a powerful book, dude, because you realize that these lies that are looping in your head, and you realize how long they've been there, yeah. and you realize how often they creep in. And my favorite quote from the book is, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. Mm. It doesn't need to be true, but it's going to affect your life as if it were. And so the importance is, is that these lies are ruts and you got to replace them with truth. Can Under- I pry? Huh? Can I pry? Of course, can, yes. Can you read one? Yeah, of like course. What's a, what's a lie and what's a truth? What's an example? Yeah. Okay. So um, the book's Christian book, right? So my truths are Bible verses and a declaration is based on that. And so I'll read one. One of my lies, I'm a fraud and a screw up. I believe I'm someone I'm not. And here's the thing that's crazy about these lies is you'll, if you, when you write them down, you start paying attention. If something comes up, let's say it's a potential successful partnership or something like that in business, it'll immediately crop in. Like, nah, dad's not going to work for you. Mm. This stuff never works. You're not, you, you can't even, you can't even fulfill that partnership. You're not that good at it. It'll just, it'll just creep in. It's powerful. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's my lie. My truth. I read one of the Bible verses. There's three here. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Ephesians 2.10. Like, no, dude, I was created to do this. Mm. I'm perfectly suited for it. This is the reason that opportunity came to me, because it was meant to come to me. Declaration is, we're his inheritance, his rich and glorious inheritance. We're his masterpiece, created for good things planned long ago. We are never crushed or driven to despair, never abandoned or destroyed. Through suffering, the life of Jesus may be seen. That suffering may be necessary. So that's one of them. That's good, man. Thank you. I love it. Yeah, Winning the War in Your Mind. I read that book and then I immediately went on Amazon and I bought the workbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't actually done that part yet, but I bought the workbook so I could actually do the work. Because like you can read a book and it's like, oh, that was a good book. Yeah. But I love when they have a workbook where you can be like, okay, now I'm going to take the time. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like I need to, maybe this is a limiting belief. I feel like I, I, the reason I haven't done it yet, because I'm like, oh, I need a weekend. I need to like go somewhere for a weekend, shut myself in a cabin. 
And I'm like, maybe the actual answer is just spend 10 minutes a day working on it. Yeah. And then I would have been done two months ago. That is what I did. Yeah. And so, and it's actually very tedious because I think the hardest part is like, man, what are the lies? Yep. And like, you realize I didn't want to write them down. Yeah. It took me forever to figure the lies out. And even though they're looping in my head all the time, I'm like, well, that's not really, no, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to write that down. Yeah. So writing them down is the hardest part. Third one, extreme ownership. Yeah. Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink. And really my takeaway from that book, which I actually have one chapter left to read. It's an incredibly long book. It uh, is a long these, book. These 10, 14 hour audio books, yeah. they wreck me, dude. <laughs> I'm like, when am I going to have 14 hours listening to this book? Um, everything's your fault. Yeah. And like some, I, I told somebody recently, like, that's depressing. Why are you saying that? It is your fault. Like everything's your fault. If you're in a circumstance, you put yourself there. If you've got a bad employee, you hired them or you're not training them or you're not leading them well, yeah. or you're not explaining yourself well, or you're disorganized, right? Like all those things are your fault. And if you can own that, then you can move through it. Yeah. Right. There's power in that ownership versus being like, oh, well, this happened to me or I can't believe this person's not. No, dude. Like, it's all your fault. Your your home life's a mess. It's going to be your fault. Yeah. Sorry to say it. Yeah. So I, I think that's some of the best marriage advice, too, is like, yeah, if your marriage is messed up, it's probably your fault. <laughs> and like, it's like, and it's like, if I, like yes, yeah, but you don't understand my spouse cheated on me. Okay, well, it, like, how is that your fault? I mean, like, how do you answer that question? Because I've got, I got my own answers, but yeah, like when somebody says, yeah, no, they cheated on me or they stole from me. Yeah. Like, how is that my fault? So I'm going to give you a really stupid, I'm going to tell you a really stupid story. We're at the skate park, San Clemente. There's a guy who is probably in his 60s, incredible skateboarder. And I noticed he's like cursing at these kids that are like nine and 10 years old. And this guy's clearly like losing his mind, like maybe going to do something bad. What do the kids do? They start goading him. Mm. They start chasing him around on their e-bike. He finally leaves, goes to, the, goes to the parking lot. They're chasing him around the parking lot. They're goading him. I walk over to the kids and I say, Hey guys, I don't know you and I don't know this guy, but what I do know is you don't poke the bear. They start telling me, well, you don't know what he said. And I go, oh, no, no, you don't misunderstand. I don't care what he said and I don't care how right you are. You need to own the fact that you're poking the bear and that you're not going to like the consequences. So do we want to find out what this guy's capable of? They're like, no. And they actually get, what did the guy, the kid said, facts, bro. And I'm like, oh, I'm not your, (laughs) I'm not your bro. But listen, right. So like they weren't owning the situation. Yeah. And even as a nine or 10 year old, it's like, all right, listen, I'm in the right, but I also know this guy seems like he's crazy. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to remove, remove myself. Right. Yeah. And so if you've got a spouse and you're like, oh, but they did this, they did that. Well, the thing is like, t- turn the mirror on yourself. What have you done? Yeah. The most unhealthy relationships I've ever seen is where neither one wants to give ground. Yeah. It's like, oh, well you, Brandon, yeah. you didn't have to dishwasher. So I'm not going to do this. Right. And then nobody wants to give up any ground. And instead it's like, well, what can you do? What have you done? lately that has showed love to somebody that you think is not deserving of that very good man all right those are the three pivot books so let's go two people have influenced you the most in your life i mean my parents for sure man um my parents because although flawed we all are we're broken people raising more broken people as my pastor says they showed what it took to like get the job done and to persevere and to not be a victim in any way, right? We were Egyptians with a grocery store and a trailer park, meth town, right? There were no brown people around. And I always say that, and I always joke with you, I always make brown jokes, because 
And my, Melissa, <laughs> Melissa hates it. She's like, why do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I want to see if we can be friends. And if they can, if they like laugh, then I'm like, oh, we can be homies. And if they get all t- uptight, I'm like, oh, we probably can't be friends because I'm going to, I'm going to make you half the podcast. Yeah. Like, right. We're going to make everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> but like the reason I bring that up, man, is because my parents never, I, I never realized it until I was older. They never made it a thing. Yeah. I mean, people wrote, and looking back, you know, realizing what was happening, I was so young. People wrote really crude things on our building, graffiti and all kinds of stuff. My parents never made a deal out of it. I didn't even know what was happening because they were just like, no, dude, we're one foot in front of the other. This is how we're making our living and this is what we're going to do. And so for, I think for them, I mean, they had a huge impact on my life and, and my wife, dude. I mean, I, you asked me questions about her before and like she has taught me how to be a good parent. Like I would be, <laughs> I would be terrible. Like I wasn't around kids growing up. Like I didn't have cousins around or anything like that. Like I didn't know what kids were like. And I think for me, I'd probably be your typical dad that was like, pat him on the head, send, send him off the bed. This is the life I live from uh, Mary Poppins, right? Yep. It's like, I would just be like, oh, you're in the way. See him, but not heard. I got things to do, empires to build. And so she's had a huge impact on me, man. And the parent that I am today, I mean, it's, it's all her. It's good, man. Last question of this segment. One quote you live your life by. Well, I've got the two and I've already used them both, man. Which is strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. And a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. I really want the listener to think about like that voice in your head that creates self the self-limiting beliefs that really shapes your reality, man. I mean, you talk about the five people you surround yourself with, your biggest enemies in, in between your ears. Like that's what's going to limit you. That's what's going to allow you to either make the phone call that you need to make or not make, pursue the job or the position or the business or, or not pursue it. If you believe that you can't, then you will, right? And so I had a friend of mine recently was like, dude, you're like in your 40s. You're starting a new career. You're crazy. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I owe it to society and to myself to go after this thing because yeah. I know that this is what I'm meant to do. Is it scary? Yeah, super scary. But the thing is, is like, I'm constantly, you know, I read the, that lie to you. I'm a fraud and a screw up, right? I'm scattered, impatient, and lazy. I'm a bad husband and father. Mm. It's never going to work out. Nothing is working. Like, those are my lies. Those are all four of them. And if I believe those, if I let them, like, invade my thoughts and my ideas, I wouldn't make the call, right? I would never text Beardy Brandon and be like, hey, bro, what do you think? You think I can be on your show, man? Like... (laughs) You know I what I mean? You asked, I think I asked you. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, how many how many questions left unasked yeah. because you didn't believe that you could do it? Mm. I don't I don't know how many people I know that are very, very gifted. And I'm like, man, dude, why didn't you why aren't you doing that art installation? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if they'll like my art. Hmm. And those do, are all those are all lies in your head. Do you know I I studied for law school, I took the LSAT, I scored really well, and then I never applied for a single school. I was afraid of being rejected. No. I mean, I'm glad it worked out well, but. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I never applied to a single school because of the fear of rejection. As a powerful, there's powerful life buried in there that I probably have yet to unpack entirely. Yeah. Well, you guaranteed rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. By not applying, <laughs> I guaranteed I didn't get into any of the schools. Like you, you created the outcome you were scared of. Yeah. 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 It's I, twisted. That's, it's twisted and, uh. Yeah, I think I think it was one of those meant to be. God knew what he was doing, probably, but uh, or maybe he just made a made some something out of a mess. So either way, it worked out. <laughs> well, man. Uh, speaking of the coaching and kind of this new career, are you like wh- how, what does that what does that look like from a ta- 
tangible thing? Is that something you're taking clients on? Do you do one-on-one stuff? Are you a group yeah. guy? Like what, it, what does that business look like? And how can people connect with you yeah. uh, for more? Thanks for asking, man. We do group coaching right now and there's a bunch of different tools and resources and assessments that we put people through depending on their situation. I'm definitely not like a hammer looking for a nail. And so um, typically help people qualify themselves for if I'm the right, if I'm the right guy for you and if it's the right program. I put together a free guide for your Look listeners, you. if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they can go to petergift.com because that's easier to remember. Petergift.com. Yes, right. That's a good URL. Thank you very much. Um, and so there's a there's a guide there. It's called Five Tips to Become a Better Leader Overnight. So it's just like five quick tips. And then we have a free version of that five voices assessment that I mentioned earlier. They can take that. So just email me. Uh, you can just reply to one of the emails on the guide and I'll send them a link to that. So cool. yeah, that's a good way to kind of get them on their way to understanding who they are the shadow of their voice and all that good stuff. Dude, I love it. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing your uh, wisdom and insights and lessons. Appreciate you. It's been fun, bro. Thank you. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, Check out abetterlife.com slash best life. Abetterlife.com slash best life. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.